Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 61 of the Big Show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing? Another Wednesday. And guess what, guys? I actually have an interview for you. Yes. My boy Jay, all the way out in Finland. He's an interesting cat. I think you guys will really dig him. Um, I've known Jay for since the old message board days, and uh, he has worked in a, as a scout. Um, he is he's a coach. Um, the Finnish media dubbed him the high priest of hockey violence, and that wasn't a compliment. Um, you will hear that story and a whole lot more. He is an author. He uh, actually wrote uh, Sammy Hellenius' autobiography, um, as well as uh, an organizer, promoter. Um, he was actually part of the Ice Warriors tournament in 2010, which was a hockey fight tournament, uh, much like the 2005 edition of the Black and Blue tournament, the Hockey Enforcer tournament in Prince George, that Dean Mayrad won. If any of you are listening or like, what am I talking about? Um, it, it, it's just as I, just exactly as I said it. Um, guys wore MMA gloves and uh, squared off and fought in a bracket tournament. Uh, it was like my Twitter tournaments. It was like the Bob Prober Invitational come to life. Um, and how do I see that? Well, I can uh, tell you that they're on YouTube. Uh, if you go to Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, um, my channel, uh, just type in Hockey Enforcers. It's in two parts, um, and the whole show was up there. It's uh, Mayrad, Segroy, Link Gates, uh, Jason Rushton, uh, Derek Parker, um, lots of guys. Um, yeah, and it was uh, Mark Rader. It was a really interesting t- Link Gates. It was an interesting tournament. Um, definitely check it out if you haven't. And actually, and also uh, Jay's uh, Ice Warriors tournament is up there as well. I won't tell you who won that though. I won't spoil it for you. But uh, yeah, they're really unique events, and uh, we get the behind the scenes story of the 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 uh, the ups and downs and the follies that went into it. And uh, and like I said, Jay's. Uh, He's been around the hockey world, and uh, and I'll tell you guys, uh, you know, we always talk about back in the day. Oh, we didn't have satellite. There was no YouTube, and you know, we you know, three channels and rabbit ears, and we were so hard done by. Wait until you hear the shit that Jay had to go through to to uh, feed the obsession of the hockey fights. Um, unbelievable, and of course in Finland, I mean, I'm sure there isn't a real strong, thriving fight community. So uh, you know, he was sort of an island unto himself. But uh, and like I said, he's. Uh, and they're not big fans of hockey violence over there and uh there's a very interesting story that jay tells um 
yeah, with, it involves Ryan Band and Bush and the whole deal. But uh, no, I think you guys will really dig this interview. I know I had a lot of fun talking to Jay, and it was great to finally set it up with him. I mean, it's like a nine-hour time difference, right? Because he's in Finland, so it was like every time I got home from work, you know, at four o'clock. I mean, it's the middle of the night there, and he's already sleeping. So it was really hard to, uh, you know, we kept talking. Oh, we got to do the interview. Got to get you on the show. Got to get you on the show. And uh, finally, I took Friday off because, of course, I wanted to see the idiot neighbors make sure they moved out and got out of here but they actually left a day early um yeah it was the only thing that pricks did the whole time they lived here that was a favor um oh it's so nice folks it's so nice anybody that's listened to this uh my, my show the last couple uh episodes knows the hassle of my neighbors and the saga there so i won't uh, go into it here but i gotta say it's been so nice with them gone it's like a library around here it's just tremendous um but yes, so I had taken Friday off to make sure, you know, to watch them leave and everything. And uh, it actually worked out great because so I got to, you know, I phoned, phoned Jade about, uh, you know, 10 a.m. my time. And of course, you know, it, wor- it worked out perfect, you know, as it was, um, you know, uh, 7 o'clock at night there. So, um, no, we talked for a few hours and... Uh, uh, for the show, I mean, I think we talked about an hour. <laughs> we talked for about an hour before the interview, and probably about another half an hour after it. So, like I said, we're like a couple old ladies in the in the knitting circle. But uh, you know, and then um, you know, and then I I said in Friday between Friday and Saturday, I did. I also interviewed Steve Adams on Saturday, um, who runs the Inside Edge Hockey Development School, as well as was. Uh, play junior as well as minor pro for a few years and he told some great stories and uh i'll tell you folks you, you think i can talk i can tell you steve could talk the years off a of brass monkey but he was lots of fun to talk to and of course he has uh run-ins with sarah robert and carry toporowski and uh, there's lots of stories in there that we share and mano rayom yes he played with her in las vegas before the uh, golden knights and and uh, was in Nashville before the Predators, uh, you know, back in the minor league days, the Nighthawks and the Aces. And uh, my friend Kurt as well, he talks, we talk about him and uh, that Steve played with. And uh, no, it was just, a, it was a really fun talk with Steve too. So I was really, and they, another guy that we had, you know, gone back and forth and oh, i got to get you on the show and all that. But it was a lot of fun talking to him. So, but between those two, and then of course I had to release uh, my Sunday episode, episode 60, where I talked uh, about the, you know, just the, the history of the tough guys that have come through the Laval Chiefs and, uh, you know, gave a little talk about that. And I don't want to say I mailed the mailed the episode in because I did go through the rosters and stuff, but it was sort of a last-minute thing. I wasn't going to actually do anything, but I figured, well, no, I'll get some content out. But I figured it out after. I think I mentioned it in that episode. Uh, I, I basically did seven hours of podcasting in two days, so my throat was pretty shot. Uh, my voice... I. I can't talk like I used to, so it uh, it was uh, starting to getting a little labored towards the end. But uh, no, I was happy to get those interviews done, and I have a few more actually set up right now. Um, hopefully, recording here this week with a couple guys. So uh, really, really, uh, like I said, it's it's funny how it goes. You go. Uh, I, be- I believe I said this in the episode six. I can't believe. Like I said, I've talked so much this last little. I can't remember what's what I've said and what I haven't said, but. Um, I believe I talk about how it's sort of like a hitting streak, you know, uh, when when you're doing interviews, it's like you boom, 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 you get three and four, right, you know, in two weeks, and then other times it's like a desert, and you can't get anybody to pick up the phone, so it's highs and lows, right, at the old interview podcasting world, but no, I've got a few done here, so I'm really looking forward to bringing them to you guys, and like I said, um, 
um, in terms of the being on the Hockey Podcast Network, like I said, it, uh, all the teams are represented. So whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. Terry Ryan's on the episode, on the uh, network, as well as uh, you know they're signing uh, new ex players. I know that's a, a real push here with the new company that they want to get some ex players involved. I know Craig Ludwig's doing helping out on a Dallas show. Brad Lieb started his own show, The Life After Hockey. So it should be an interesting little first uh, new year here with the on the network. So some new shows, new content. Um, course for my off-network friends um you know i have dan paul and kelly over at the obey the puck show fred and dave the Slewfoot show for some current hockey for you those those are good folks to listen to um as well as of course old joe lazito over at the uh, coliseum chronicles who uh, covers islander his toughness and uh he's interviewed everyone from mick fakota to jason struggler garen asham does a great job just actually released a second part to uh or part two of his graham townsend interview uh, and joe like i said joe always does a good job and of course then alec over at the five for fighting podcast who just released an episode actually his first one in a couple months uh you know with the trials and tribulations of course i had him on a couple a couple episodes ago just you know with the battle of covid and of course the move in and everything else and uh so it's been a trying you know month and a half two months for alec but uh he's back at her and i know he's got some interviews lined up and uh so it's it's good to see him back in the game but uh other than that guys uh i'll I'll keep it short today um yeah like i said i'm really happy to bring this interview to you and as well as uh, the steve adams interview uh which will be next wednesday this sunday i'll I'll, uh i got some stuff to yap at you about but uh like i said uh wednesdays going forward i'd really like wednesdays to be kind of my interview show and then sunday will be kind of the the shorter um rant and rambling and raving show um you know with the occasional guest um looking to have a a, a former player on to talk about it. I always kind of like to do the five toughest opponents kind of getting into that I kind of dig it I did that with Mace or I did that with Graf so uh, hopefully this gentleman um, you know I know he's been busy but hopefully we can find some time to talk to him because um, uh, I know he's got an interesting list there so uh, we've been just texting back and forth and hopefully I know work's been really busy for him so hopefully he can take uh, you know 20 minutes 25 minutes to get off and uh, and we can just wrap that do that real quick for uh, for Sunday's show so uh, but we'll see but regardless, I will have something for you guys. But uh, in the meantime, let's get on with uh, Jay from Finland. Trust me, you guys will really dig this uh, interview. Jay's a good dude. All right, and uh, all right, guys, have a good rest of the week. Stay safe, uh, and I will talk to you on Sunday. Thanks, guys. All right, here on the fourth line, voice all the way out in Europe, in Finland, I have the man once called the high priest of hockey violence, who the Finnish media wrote an article and said he needs to be put back in a submarine and shot back to Canada and deported my boy Jay. Jay, how are you doing today? What's happening? <laughs> Darren, how are you now? I, I'm very <laughs> good, and you? <laughs> Letter Kenny there, eh, yeah, buddy? Yeah. You got me with that one, yeah. You thought, yes, <laughs> good, and you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I know we, we had talked just before you got going. You're actually a uh, dual citizen, correct? Yeah, my mom uh, was born in Sudbury, Ontario, and I've had the pleasure of living my Canadian dream in Regina, Saskatchewan, and Sudbury, Ontario. Well, you're, I'm going to tell you, you're one of the few people that I ever heard about having the pleasure of living in Regina. But all right, we'll go with that. <laughs> the bag. There's the Saskatoon Regina thing coming out, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, before we get going, if anybody's wondering about that intro, that's like some real shit. Um, where where did that come from? How, where did that uh, that whole bit come from? 
Oh, I think in uh, 2011 or 2012. And I think I still have this article stored somewhere. And it it was something that I didn't quite like, but now I think it makes for a great story because uh, if somebody gets called the high priest of hockey violence, uh, that sounds pretty serious considering that uh, actually I, you know, because I I worked in pro hockey for so many years, and you know I I tend to scout around 250 games every year and all the practices. So uh, well, we will talk, and uh, you'll hear hear some stories, and maybe the fans of Fortline Voice will gain a better understanding why I have this kind of stigma. No, absolutely, and like I said, this is. Uh... You know, with the time difference over in Finland, it's always been sort of tough to kind of line things up. I mean, by the time I get home from work, I mean, you're you're getting ready to hit the sheets. So, I mean, but I have today off. So I said, well, we got to do this today because the time, this will work out. Because I think it's about, what, 8 o'clock there right now? Yeah, that's right, sir. Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to work out perfect. So, got Jay on the line here for a little while. But, like with all guests, how did, uh, when did you first start in hockey? Tell us, tell tell the listeners about your playing career. <laughs> I wasn't much of a player. I was more of a wannabe player, or a, uh, I, I don't know. But uh, I can I can tell you about the first time <clears throat> I was on skates. I was begging my mom that, Mom, I want to go to that hockey school. I want to go to that hockey school. I was like five or six years old, and yeah, I went to the hockey school. And after like five minutes later, I uh, I started to cry that, Oh, my feet are hurting, Mom. I want to go back home. So that's how I began my career in hockey. <laughs> I think every, I, I, I think I had the same experience actually. Yeah, yeah. everything's gone home until your feet hurt, and then it's like, yeah, it's time to go. Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, you know, uh, I never played any kind of professional hockey. Uh, I, I did play, <laughs> uh, well, play uh, in two preseason games on the third highest level of Finnish hockey called Suomisarja, and both times I was uh, called in because. Uh, you know, they wanted to have <laughs> some kind of, uh, you know, security on the bench in case that something happens, even though I'm only 5'9", but uh, there's a reason why I knew some tricks and, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I never played pro, and uh, it's actually a bit of a surprise that I've been able to make a career working in hockey as a scout and as a as director of hockey operations in in five different countries so i'm very very grateful and you know uh, we uh we always like to talk about our friend uh, joe lozito and joe joe is a proud italian man and i i I worked four years for the Italian Hockey Federation and for their national junior team program. And I promised Joe that if I ever go back to Italy, I will hire him to be the official hangaround of Team Italy. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, that was the thing. And, well, I mean, before we get into your your scouting and all that, um, because, well, it's funny, um, I got to, of course, know you through... The fight message boards, yeah, and uh, and then of course you you worked with the blades, and of course we have our mutual friend Brodsky with the blades. So um, uh, with that, that's how I became more aware of you. But um, how did you get in? Like especially being in Finland and everything. I mean, obviously the hockey culture, as we're gonna get into later, 
um, it, it isn't really set up for violence and fighting. I mean, that's obviously not not like in a North American, especially back then. How did what interests you about the violent side of the game, and how did you get involved in that? Uh, well, I remember the first time I saw an actual fight uh, in a hockey game. This was in 1992, and it was uh, between uh, Iro Yarabi, who used to play for the uh, for the Nordiques, and some player from the HBK team. And of course, uh, I'm born in uh, 1981, so I grew up with those Nintendo consoles and, you know, Commodore 64s and all these computers. And every time that there was a new hockey game in the market, the first question everybody had was, how are the fights? How are the fights? Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's about it. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, well... And like I said, it just sort of, it, it grew from there, but uh, yeah, like in terms of, um, like you said, you were director of player personnel and, and that type of thing, um, like for for what teams and like what, what uh, like who did you all work with? Well, I'll give you a, a great story here. Uh, for the first couple of years, I was working as a scout and an agent for uh, two different companies there, and then... Uh, I think this was in 2005. I went to see a road game. And then after the game, I went to see my friend Shane Toporowski. And Shane had been playing in, in Finland for some years, and we started talking hockey. And then he just asked me, like, uh, hey, would you have any interest, you know, to scout for Saskatoon Blades? And I was like, whoa, that would be great. Like, why are you, you know, you know giving me this opportunity? And he said that, that his dad was, you know, helping the Blades out a bit. And, you know, thanks to Shane and Don Toporowski, uh, I got to be the European scout for the Saskatoon Blades, and it was a lot of fun to learn two or three months ago that that my boss at the time, Jared Brodsky, is actually your childhood friend. So it's a very small world here. It is. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And after I did those uh, couple years for Saskatoon, then I got my opportunity to work in the uh, in the Finnish professional hockey in the, in Mestis. Mestis is the second highest level of Finnish pro hockey. I was there for two years and also did some scouting for the under-20 national team. And things just happened like Norway, Italy, France. And, you know, I'm very, very curious to see where where I will be in the time after covid yeah. Um, well, like you said, you worked. Uh, uh, well, you were in. You were in Canada too. You, yeah, what, I was. Uh, what year was that? Two thousand twelve and thirteen, and I had some great job interviews. Uh, I went to visit a couple hockey academies, and you know, g- gave their uh, <clears throat> gave my job interview there, and also talked to some. Some major junior teams there and some some tier two teams, but uh, it it just you know didn't happen. And then I got <laughs> an opportunity to go back to Europe in Norway, and that 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 was a you know a great uh, great trip. I stayed there I think three months, and then uh, one morning I go to the gas station to buy a to buy myself a coffee and I read the newspaper that this team is going down and and they are facing bankruptcy 
And I started making phone calls and asking, you know, people, like, what's going on? And they just give me this very lazy explanation about a small accounting error. Uh-oh. And then I make I make some phone calls to the uh, Hockey Federation where I knew some people. And I got the message that it, it, it would be a pretty good idea for me to leave. And that's what I did. <laughs> so basically there, I went for the job interview in Norway. And I asked to see, you know, certain documents and blah, blah, blah. And apparently they showed me forged documents. And, you know, <laughs> that happens in European pro hockey. And I know shit like this also happens in, in North America minor pro. Like, you know, when we had the Ice Warriors fight tournament in Finland back in 2010, I loved all the stories that the boys told me about the LNH. And they loved my stories about U- European hockey and, you know, just the mere craziness. And, you know, how sometimes the players and the coaches and, you know, we are just, you know, a bunch of outlaws. And if you are not actually working in the highest, you know, levels of hockey, then, you know, shit might hit the fan. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, in the real high level of hockey in Finland and the, over in Europe is one thing. But, yeah, like you said, when you start getting down in the the Tier 2 and Tier 3s, yeah, it probably gets a little LNAH-ish by the sounds yeah, of it. Yeah, but... I- I would say, like, I have a lot of great stories and I have a lot of bad stories, but the more time goes by, even the bad, you know, those bad moments and bad stories, they turn into great stories and great memories because I've been out there, I've had the chance, you know, to live in five different countries and, you know, I I have a lot of, you know, childhood friends who have been working, you know, the same job ever since they, you know, graduated from school. So I can't complain. No, absolutely. And I know just from talking to you uh, privately, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, you've, you've lived a, an interesting life for sure. And like you said, uh, sometimes you just got to look back at on things that, uh, you know, like you said, at one time were, were the shits and you were kind of depressed about it. But uh, when you look back, you know, 10 years later or 15 years later, it you kind of laugh about it, right? It's all life's ex- chalk it up to life experience, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and yeah, I would say that uh, every experience that I've had in hockey, you know, uh, the good ones and the bad ones are something that I will cherish. And, you know, being here in Europe right now, I've actually had, you know, the opportunity to get to know a lot of, you know, Canadian and American players. And sometimes when they've had, you know, some troubles, they've, they have given me a call and it's actually great to see like, you know, how, how well the hockey people actually, they, they bond and they help each other out if there's an emergency or, you know, and, uh, there's been some missed paychecks and but there's been <laughs> there's been like such crazy stories that I really think that someday maybe in you know 2040 I'll I'll need to write a book or two. Well, you, that's a good segue because you've written a book. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, tell us about that. If anybody remembers the big. Deep defenseman for the Dallas Stars and Calgary Flames and the Avalanche from Finland, Sammy Helenius, or like we say, Sammy Helenius. He was uh, 6'5 or 6'6 and 230, and he's the only Finn ever to make a career in the NHL as a tough guy. And he had some great stories in, in, his, in his career. And like, 
basically he went to the AHL at the age of 20 with no prior fighting experience and he told and he told me that the first two years he basically learned every possible way how to take a beating because you know <laughs> when you go to the American Hockey League in 1993 I think it was as a 20 year old with no prior fighting experience you are 6-6 there's a lot of interesting characters who have been already fighting anything between 5 to 15 years so yeah, and then probably his most famous fight came against George Larocque, where Larocque just hammered him. But uh, Sammy had done something stupid, and he's, he's, he stood up for himself, you know, and he uh, he paid the price. But he got a lot of respect, even from Mr. L- you know, Mr. George Larocque himself. He told the media the day after that Sammy has a lot of guts. Yeah. Well, how did like did like how did that all how did that whole book thing come apart come apart or come about? Oh, did uh, wow! Like, did you were you friends with him previously? No, uh, it was uh, in two thousand three. The ice hockey world championships were being held in Helsinki, Finland, and I had always wanted to go and interview Sami Helenius because at this time I was making my living as a part-time hockey scout and a part-time freelance writer. And I went to see Sammy after the tournament, and we talked for like, I don't know, five or six hours. And then I just asked him after the interview, Sammy, what what do you think if we would write a book of your career? And he said, yeah, let's do it. And we did it. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, now, how was that book received over there? Uh, it was the first hockey book in Finland that actually explained, you know, bits and pieces, what goes behind the scenes. It was the first book of, uh, let's say, a journeyman player and not an initial superstar like, you know, a Timo Solani or, or a Chari Curry. And Sammy talked about, you know, certain things that he had seen and, you know, certain people he had fought and you know he knew the stories and there's a great quote about this one player who had been called up from the ECHL to fight in the AHL before the game this guy took 14 Sudafets that are meant for people with with asthma and usually just one of those is more than enough to help an an asthmatic person and this poor guy never gets to play one shift in that game. He's just sitting there at the end of the bench, you know, shaking and trembling, being all hyped up because of all those pseudo-fits that he had taken. <laughs> so so that kind of book that comes out in 2004 and explains this kind of stuff and not about the glamorous life of an NHL millionaire with 15 new different cars and a mansion, it was something different because he. It was like the story from from a guy who's in the working class and not in the upper class, higher class. So, how how is like well, like you said, we're going to get into the kind of basically how violence in Finland just doesn't really, you know, they're not really they're not really happy about. Well, how 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 did they take Sammy? Like, I mean, I guess he played in the NHL, so I mean, he'd have. You know, they. I. I would just. Do they respect him, or do they kind of look at him like just some goon? Or, well, Sammy, he was such a 
how would I say? Like he was such an honest player. He was never suspended for for any like soccer punches or you know hitting from behind or you know knee checking or anything you know dirty like that. All the penalty minutes that he gained, they came from you know honest body checks and honest fights and stuff like that. So I think it was very good that Sammy wasn't one of those loose kind of you know type of guys. But we've had our share of those players also, you know, patrolling the ice in the in the Finnish league. But uh, of course, he had a he had a target on his back, and I think uh, sometimes the refs gave him a lot of you know easy penalties and stuff like that. But yeah, what can you do? Who are who are some of the guys? Some of the what are out there people listening um, that would some of the Finnish guys, the European guys that you helped, uh, you know come over to or North America to play, whether it be in junior or, uh, or what have you. You got any, uh, well, hit us, hit us with some names here, Jay. Well, I would say that I haven't actually been helping, uh, too many Finnish players to, you know, do a travel across the pond. But, uh, I, uh, when I was scouting for the blades, they drafted a guy called Yuri Niemi based on my recommendations. And, uh, it was actually a great story there. Uh, they had the, uh, Draft day, and Lauren Mulliken, who was the coach, who was the coach at the time, he gave me a phone call, and he said, "Okay, uh, it's going to be our pick next, and I'm I'm going to put you on the spot here, kid. You have these three names here for us. Who will be your pick?" And that was the first time I was ever put on a spot because it's easy, you know, just to scout and just to make the reports, but that was the first time. I had the pressure, like, oh, my God, I'm going to be responsible for selecting the player for the Saskatoon Blades. And for me, being, you know, Finnish-Canadian, it's uh, it's a great honor to work for a Canadian team. And luckily, this guy, Niemi, he he came to the dub as a 16-year-old, and I'm not sure if this record still holds, but at the time, he was the youngest European All-Star in the Western Hockey League. Too bad that he... Uh, when he turned pro, he became very, very injury prone. And you asked me about, you know, moving and helping these players. Uh, I've actually spent so much more time helping guys, you know, from France and Italy in, in you know, getting their international opportunities in hockey. I haven't been involved in Finnish hockey for, I don't know, nine years now or so. Yeah, well, like I said, well, like uh, who who's the kid in the Ontario League? His name is escaping me, right now. That led penalty minutes. Oh, the European guy. Yeah, Joseph Sladok. Joseph Sladok from Slovakia. Uh, I just talked to him this morning. Uh, unfortunately, he got injured in a game yesterday. He he. He broke his leg there, so he's going to be out for a few months. But, yeah, Schladok, he uh, he went to Plymouth Whalers in the OHL uh, around 15 years ago, and he was the first European to lead the OHL in PIMS. And he also played uh, in the Central League, and he played over in, in the U.K. in both the First League and the Second League. And now he's been playing a few years in, in Slovakia. But there was a time... <laughs> When he was playing the second, the the second level in in the UK, and I had a friend coaching in Finland, and he wanted 
he wanted to have a solid and tough stay-at-home D. And I, I told him, well, I know a guy, but you have to trust me. Because he plays in the second highest level of hockey in England. And he was like, you know, holy shit, like, what are you fucking trying to sell me? And then I showed some game videos and, you know, fight videos of Sladok. And I went to see the first practice, if I recall correctly. And the coach told me, like, yeah, that guy can skate. You were right. But again, a guy like that, you know, coming to play hockey in Finland, he had this bullseye target on his back. And in his first game, he had a little bit of a collision with the other player. And he got five-minute major in a game misconduct or a match misconduct. So it's been tough for, you know, some guys to come here because no matter how clean they play, the refs are still very, very biased. Well, yeah, and I mean, okay, well, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but let, let's uh, let's get into this whole this whole crazy because you've told me some stories about the Finland, and well, like you said, we talked about the news report about you, but just in general, just Finnish hockey and their and the league and the media's complete disdain for any type of violence. Um, and I mean, we get into a whole government thing here, but, um, and you, you initially talk about, uh, um, a number of the guys you said that came over to Finland in terms of toughness and, and your relationship with, uh, with a a coach named Doug Shedden who came (laughs) over there. How did, how did all this happen? And and let's get into this Finnish story here. Well, this is only my side of the story, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Sheds, he came to Finland uh, 15 or 16 years ago, and I got to know him because I was still living in in Helsinki at the time, and he coached the other team in Helsinki, IFK, and the next year he went to the rival team, Jokerit. So there's two teams in, in, in Helsinki, and actually right now this Jokerit team, they, they, are, they are playing in the KHL, so they, they jumped leagues a few years ago. But anyways, uh, Shedden comes in, and right from the first preseason game, his players didn't back down, and they actually initiated a lot of altercations, and there were a bunch of fights. And in the first uh, regular season game, they had four or five fights. And then all of a sudden, a lot of these other teams started to wonder, like, okay, how can we counter on, you know, this, you know, Doc Shedden's team. And everybody kind of knew that. I knew the players from North America who knew what to do when when they dropped the gloves. And uh, a lot of these teams, you know, started signing these forward liners, so to speak. And I uh, actually made a list here for you and, and for your audience of all the tough guys who've ever played in Finland, but actually this list start from starts from the nineteen eighties. And I'm not sure if you wanna if you wanna hear this whole list of, you know, tough players, you know, who've ever played in Finland. Absolutely. Hey, we got we got nothing but well, time here, man. Absolutely. <laughs> so I remember you met you had this great podcast with Mr. Jeff Archers and yep. I sent you I sent you some intel uh, about his time in Finland. So Jeff Archers is one. Then there's my my friend uh, Trevor Doyle, and he played for the team IFK, and I grew up as an IFK fan. 
And this is a great story. Uh, after this story, I'll, I'll give you a round on, of all these other names. But IFK was playing this so-called European Championship League. And they played against a team from Germany, the Frankfurt Lions. And they had a lot of you know Canadian players who really like to rough it up, especially after they were losing, like, I don't know, nine to four or something like that. And then IFK's GM at the time, Jarmo Kekäläinen, who is now the GM of the, uh, of the Blue Jackets in the NHL, he did some very smart moves behind the scenes because he wanted to secure his team, his team star players' safety in, in the next game in Germany. So he found out that the year before, Trevor Doyle, had given two beatings on the Frankfurt Lions enforcer Rick Hayward, who was uh, who was no slouch. No. So IFK brings Doyle in, and when they go back to Germany, there's not even one fucking body check, you know, played by those Lions players, and Doyle's presence just calmed the situation. Like it, it was incredible. So. I'll, I'll keep on going down now with this list. So Jeff Archers was one. Then this guy became pretty famous some years ago as a coach. He had this little scene. Uh, I think it was in the SPHL. Brent Sapergia. <laughs> we've had Sean, Sean Gagnon, Dan Fott, Josh Gradden, Robert Schnabel, Trevor Gillies, BJ Crumbin, Kip Brennan, Burke Henry, Shane Toporowski, Kyle Rossiter, Brad Norton, Matt Nickerson, Ryan Vandenbush, Mike Siklanka, Clark Willem, Roman Volpat, greetings to Vopi. Uh, then we had uh, uh, Terrence Sandwith, Joe Finley, Ryan Stone, Nolan Youngman, Dane Byers, Sheldon Brookbank, Luke Sellers, and Jared Ball. So that's a, that's a, that, that's a pretty good list you know, for any European league, I would say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, well what about the Vandenbush story? <laughs> so, uh, in 2006, Doc Shedden had, went, had uh, changed teams. So he went from IFK to Jokerit. So he changed teams, you know, in, in Helsinki. And in the first regular season game, the IFK tough guy attacked one of Shedden's power forwards. And Doug sent me a message after the game, like, okay, uh, I need some some real muscle, so if you can send me some names and contacts, I would really appreciate it. And I think I sent him, sent him a message back the next day with the contact information for Ryan Vandenbush, Darren Langdon, and Brent Myers. I think I talked to all those guys on Facebook or something, but there was some kind of connection because, of course, I, I, I wanted to a- ask the players if they ever wanted to, you know, to come play hockey in Finland. And then Shedden signed Ryan Vandenbush. And <laughs> the media the media went a, a little crazy, I would say. And uh, then in uh, the next game between these two Helsinki teams, Ryan Vandenbus drops his gloves with this other player right from the face-off, and they have a good, clean fight that, you know, 
it was like 15 or 20 seconds like there was nothing big you know nothing wrong with that fight and the next day the Finnish police they started to investigate this fight as you know premeditated assault and there was a media frenzy and the fucking government and all the politicians were really eager to make you know comments because the el- elections were surprisingly just around the corner it's funny how that works yeah yeah it's yeah so uh i thought like holy shit like we need to do something here and i asked a, a couple of my good friends who were playing in that league like hey i have this crazy idea and what do you think if if i you know if I should do this and blah 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 and okay so the next day I go to the police station and I give them a list of all the hockey fights in the Finnish league between 1996 and 2006 and I ask them okay so here is a list of hockey fights with the dates and the players you need to investigate this all and the way it worked out was that I basically had to file in these charges. And <laughs> wow, the TV news and the government and everybody again, they really had a jolly good time, like our, our mutual friend Sam Bell from Manchester, UK, would say. Long lens, yep. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, even the Finnish president... Uh, she got her word in there and the prime minister and blah, blah, blah. But uh, after like two weeks, the cops just, you know, dropped all these investigations. And it was funny at the time, uh, all these players who had fought each other, they would make these comments in the newspapers that, yeah, I'm really hoping that, you know, we can we can share the same jail cell. And, you know, so it was actually, you know, kind of like a case where you had to fight idiotism with idiotism basically yeah and i guess uh, that's one of the reasons why i became such an easy target for the finnish media despite that you know my actual job in hockey was and still is so much more than just hockey fights because hockey fights to me is just one of my hobbies I, I, i've been a big hockey fight fan you know for the last i would say 25 years but at the same time like I have so many other hobbies from hiking and bushcrafting to history and, you know, astronomy and all that kind of stuff. But uh, none of those are dangerous or, you know, interesting hobbies enough. But when it comes to hockey fights, the Finnish media have no sense in what they are writing and saying. At least they didn't have that sense at the time. I haven't given any interviews to Finnish media for many years now. That's just my personal choice, but I really had to try to explain to them, like, uh, if you call me the high priest of hockey violence, to me, violence means an act where you hurt another person so that he or she cannot, you know, you know, put up any kind of, you know, resistance or defense. But a hockey fight is a willing combat between two players and that in my books is not violence it's a combat it's a sport in its own way but they i mean but like you tell me they've caused a lot of shit for you though the media and and some fans and shit yeah but then again in its own way it's dessert because i used to run this this website many many years ago that had the title 
you know, penalty box in Finnish where I would publish all these enforcer interviews and stuff like that. And we had this internet TV show in the pre-YouTube era where we would, you know, we would talk with the tough guys and we would show the fight videos. So in a way, it's been well-deserved, but yeah, it's it's been... If not a burden, it's been something of an annoyance at times. But then again, like I haven't been involved, you know, with Finnish hockey for so many years. So maybe things have changed. But then again, like I've been bitten by the travel bug. So I think my hockey career will still, you know, carry me, you know, somewhere else than Finland for sure. Well, like, even when you, like you said, you worked with all these, like, Italy or, you know, when you came to Saskatoon or to Regina and talked to these people, like, did any of that kind of baggage come with you? Like, did they ever say, like, no. oh, hey, I hear you were causing no. shit with the fights or anything? Like, hockey no, people I, get it, right? Yeah, and, you know, even if I go to Sweden, I'm I'm just a, you know, a hockey guy from Finland. Yeah. So. And sometimes, like, when we had, you know, some long road trips and the guys would be maybe a little curious about my past and I would you know I would just entertain them with all these stories and then I, I would you know probably you know carry a DVD or two with me maybe some great fights from the old colonial league and I would tell them stories on Andy Biso and you know Kevin Holiday, Chuck Mayo, Bruce Ramsey but yeah I don't know why in Finland it's become like such a big and bad thing and it's totally being blown out of proportion for sure no absolutely um well yeah let's just like talk it's like you threw some names out before i'm just gonna throw and just i'll throw some names at you and just tell me your involvement with them and how you got to know them uh sure the wrecker joel Recklish. all right uh i think i got to know joel back in the good old MSN Messenger Times. I think he had given an interview for that old website called the QMJHL Tough Guys. Yep. And at the time, they they had a similar they had a similar website for the OHL Tough Guys. And I just started to talk to Joel. I think he gave me an interview or two, and he knew that I was involved in the agent side of the business. And it was near. The end of his last season in the queue, he started to get really worried if he would ever have a real chance, you know, playing pro anywhere. So now I cannot remember if it was me or my colleague who actually got him his first contract in the UHL where he finished that season. But uh, I'm very proud of the career that he had and he really fought all the tough guys in all the leagues that he he played in and you know that that left bomb yep. it was it, it was one little fucking southpaw that that would connect you and he was such a nice guy and such a you know a very polite young man and i've tried to help our buddy joe to get record to be to to go and be a guest on on his show but i'm not sure if that's that's happening, but uh, yeah, Wrecker is a he's a great guy, and I haven't talked to him for a few years now, but he was always very good to me, and he most importantly, he would always remember to say thank you, and that's, you know, th- that goes a long way in my book. Well, well, yes, absolutely, and it's funny having um, yeah, 
it, it, that does. It, that, I mean, that's something. It's it's strange because that's something that it sounds like it would be so simple, and that was yeah. that. It's just sort of. Uh, but uh, yeah, in dealing, well, even in my years with, I mean, not as in depth with you, but helping different people out and being involved behind the scenes or whatever. Yeah, and a lot of times you don't get the thank you, and that you know, and it's not about you know, oh here come kiss my ass for all the help I gave you. It's nothing like that. <laughs> But like I said, yeah, it's some uh, a thank you and at least a little bit of recognition uh, on your on that person's part would be nice. And a lot of times it's not it's not uh, it's not given. So I completely yeah, understand sure. when you say that. I'm right with yeah. you. Yeah, and like like with Joel, I remember when he got that you know first professional contract offer from the old United Hockey League. The money was you know you know pretty brutal but it, it was an opportunity for him and he made the most of it and then all all the contracts that he signed afterwards i had nothing to do with that nor did my colleague but he really deserved everything you know you know what he did in his career and i'm very happy that he he went all the way to the nhl for a few games absolutely no right and he you know he played in the american law you know oh he had a great career yeah, and anybody, if you haven't uh, had the opportunity, uh, or, or, or you haven't done it, and I don't know why people listening have not, but go to YouTube and just type in Joel Reckless. There's a video on there, it's about 14 minutes, and it's just like a compilation. Yeah, go watch that. You'll be highly, highly entertained. He was, And uh, also, his brother, Mark Reckless, he was cut from the same mold, and I also tried to help him a little bit with his career, and I can remember this one story. It's a very vague memory, but uh, Mark Reckledge had already retired from hockey, and then it was like a month or two after that I sent him a message that, hey, uh, uh, I have a friend who's coaching there, and he needs a tough guy, and if you're interested, the job is yours, but he said, thank you, but no thank you. I'm I'm very satisfied with my you know my retirement and but again like he was just like his brother he would show his gratitude and why it means so much to me is that well because like uh, I can help a lot of people and a lot of people help me but if you don't have <laughs> have the manners and the understanding of saying thank you uh, after you have basically maybe sometimes begged for help for immediate help with your career then i would say you're going to just go fuck yourself <laughs> exactly yep yeah. yep well some of the other name uh steve mackway steve mackway big mac ah wow i love that guy i signed him to play for my team in 2008 uh, he had been a dominant force in the Central League. I think uh, the year before I signed him, uh, when he was playing for Mississippi, he had like 60 games, 40 points, and 150 pims. He was 6'6", 235 or something like that. But unfortunately, unfortunately, things didn't work out. Uh, the coaching staff wasn't too happy with Mac, and also knowing that they had the opportunity to bring back their own favorite player from the year before things happened but i uh, i think steve mackway wasn't too disappointed leaving finland because the the city where we played at the time it was uh it, it was in the eastern part of the country 
it was like a concrete jungle that town and you know a guy coming in from mississippi that was a big change in many ways and later on that year after he departed from finland he actually finished the year in your favorite city las vegas so i i don't think he has too many regrets and in the last i heard uh, mac is selling solar panels in alberta or saskatchewan there you go yeah yeah but i think you also re- remember him from from the dot and from the sj yep yeah no when i saw his saw his name came up i was um uh it was familiar um did you have any uh, interactions with La- Sasha Lakovic? Yeah, that was wow, many, many years ago. Uh, he was between, I think, between the LNH and senior hockey with the Horse Lake Thunder team that the fight fans remember so well. With uh, I think they had Sasha, Dodie Wood, and didn't they also have Gino Logic there and Greg Lakovic, if I'm not wrong. And Steve, and but, Steve Parsons. Yep. Steve Parsons, yeah. I also used to talk to Steve, thanks to Jonathan Kaminsky. Yeah, yeah. And John, yeah, John, John was actually always very good to me. He sent me a bunch of DVDs, never asked for a dime, I hope I had the decency to send him some maybe signed stuff from Sammy Hellenius, but I can't remember. But yeah, uh, Sasha, uh, he wanted really to make one last go in pro hockey. So he had his friend in Vancouver at the time, uh, Dino something. I can't remember his last name. But we talked about some European opportunities there. But unfortunately... The Pitbull's reputation was a bit too much <laughs> to, to all the European teams at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, well, and then, of course, you, know, you, you mentioned his name before, and he's, a, he's been a guest on this show. Um, and you have an interesting story involving uh, being involved with him. Matt Nickerson. Yeah. Wow. Big Matt. <laughs> Uh, wow, okay, so first of all, Matt, when he first came across the pond, the way he played and the uh, character that he had in that city where he played, in Pori, he became an instant, you know, you know, I would say a cult hero and a legend, almost like a god, I would say. And uh, he was about as entertaining as any player that I've ever seen, in good and in bad. And then uh, he had actually a, he had a, he had a pretty successful year here in Finland. I think he was only 20 years old or, you know, 21. Then he goes back to the States for one year, and he splits his time there between the AHL and the, and the ECHL. And then uh, I think Matt even talked about this, in his podcast, that basically Dallas, you know, gave him the approval that, you know, he could, you know, just terminate his, I don't know if it was like a two or three way contract with stars and go back to Europe and, you know, make more money that way. But the problem was that uh, (laughs) at the time, his his former team in Finland, they didn't exactly have any, any, uh, extra money lying around and Matt really wanted to play in that city and you know he was meant to play for that team in that city I, I would say that so uh, 
we talk about this little issue or uh, or uh, a dilemma and at the time i was hosting <laughs> this one sports sports channel tv show where the people were able to send the old school sms messages and we could display them on the screen and if i had a guest then you know the guest was able to a- answer the questions and stuff so i made a little plan and matt gave me his approval I basically told a flat-out lie in live TV that there were tons of Finnish teams after Matt Nickerson's signature on the contract paper, and one of the strongest candidates was the rival team of this Boric, you know, team. And I think, you know, things happened pretty fast. In one or two days, the team had raised enough money to sign Nickerson back to Finland and back to the team where he belonged because a lot of the local sponsors, they would flock the, the team office with their phone calls and just basically offer them free sponsorship money. So that's how big of a you know hero Matt Nickerson was with this club. And it was actually pretty funny to play media that way. It wasn't, you know, something that we or I planned out of being evil or bad, but I wanted to help my friend and i'm thankful that he uh <laughs> gave me his approval well there you are hey media you got to manipulate them for once you got to spin it around and get them chasing and the power of the people there you go got matt back yeah, on the team especially now if any uh finnish hockey fans will listen to this podcast they will probably be pretty shocked because only a few years before Sometimes when I was really bored, I would go to this one message board and I would actually just, you know, annoy the fans of this team where Matt played, you know, just because they were so passionate about their club. So I would, you know, find ways to just piss them off and just basically being an ass. And uh, (laughs) I'm not sorry about it, but it's just funny, you know, to think that once I was a fucking keyboard warrior and now I can't stand them and that's why I'm not even on social media, basically. <laughs> I guess, well, uh, past guest John Searson, he still does that on the UK message boards. Oh, he, John, you, you need to, you know, stop drinking that hard tea, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I gotta, well, I always, I always do, but I gotta thank him again because he's always, uh, He's always out promoting my show over on the UK message boards. I, I think it's probably met with a lot of uh, criticism, but I think I've gotten a few listeners from it anyway. But, uh, yeah, they're passionate well, fans over in the UK. I'm very happy you you uh, used the word promote because do I ever have a promotion speech here for you about coolhockey.com? Oh, hey, there you go. What a segue. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so... Coolhockey.com, the proud sponsor of the Hockey Podcast Network and Darren in the Portline Voice. And we've already mentioned our buddy Joe Lucido from Long Island, New York. And we all know that Joe is a great guy and a passionate New York Islanders fan. And he's such an old school guy, old school guy that he sent me a fax last night. He was all hyped up because he had just went on coolhockey.com, and he used the discount code THPN on the checkout. 
to nope. buy himself very rare Islanders jersey from 0-9-10 season. The one game wonder, Anton Clementiev from Russia. One game, zero points, zero pims, plus minus zero. But Joe was all hyped up. Like he would follow and go see this guy play in Bridgeport. All those 99 games where he had three goals and 10 assists, 50 penalty minutes and minus 13. And just because Joe is such a passionate Islanders fan, I wanted to show my appreciation to Joe. So after this podcast interview is done, I will go online to coolhockey.com and use my promo code THPN to buy myself two New York Islanders jerseys. One with the number 21 on the back and the other with number 25. So I'm going to have a blue jersey and a white jersey. The white jersey will be number 21 Lozido in honor of Marius Cherkavsky's number. And the blue jersey will also read Lucido with number 25 because Marius Cherkovsky also used number 25 when he played for the Islanders. And it's damn cool. You get this discount and it's only 180 uh, Canadian dollars with free shipping. Can you believe it? I can't. I really can't. Yeah. 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 I know. Well, and like I said, this that I think that promo code... I, I can't even imagine the amount of money Joe has saved over these last oh over this last year yeah and I mean <laughs> anybody out in Long Island yeah you see uh, you see a cat walking around with an Islanders jersey with one of those like I said the B side the deep cuts yeah that's Joe and you know w- when I receive those jerseys and I'm gonna wear my my Lucido Cherkovsky Islanders jersey, and I go walk outside or I go to the grocery store, I'll feel like a big guy, a big man. Like, I'll feel very manly. Oh, I mean, and they'll, they'll, I mean, and I can guarantee the people at the grocery store, they'll know who Lucido is. They'll say, I've heard that podcast, the Coliseum Chronicles. Do you know him? Yeah. How do I get in touch with him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Joe is ratings gold. (laughs) So there you go, Joe. I hope you cracked a laugh there. <laughs> there. There you go. Yeah, you you actually really hit me with that there, that ad read. I didn't even know that was coming. <laughs> there you go. Uh, excellent. Well, now I don't have to. I don't have to edit that in later. You're making this really easy. Yeah, yeah. But, and also at the same time, now that we're reading ads, or I'm reading ads, even though I'm the guest. You can explain about Ken Staniford in your intro, but I'm going to talk about Trevor Doyle. Just a little bit, because Trevor Doyle is a good man. He was a great hockey hockey player. I'm very happy to to be friends with him, and I was happy enough and lucky enough to go and see him play live in uh, in 2000 when he was playing for the Syracuse Crunch. The first game I saw live there, uh, he fought Eric Bertrand and Stone Cold Steve McLaren. And why I want to mention Trevor Doyle, if you live in the eastern part of Ontario, and if you want to make your wife really happy, go to doylehomes.ca and Doyle and his company will build you the house of your dreams. Well, there you go. He's a, he's, yeah. He's into Well, hey, there's a guy. You got I got to use you. I'm going to use your connection. Can I name drop you? We got I got to okay. get him on the show. Would he come on the show? You think? You can always ask. Yeah. You can always ask. Because I have, uh, you know, out of all these enforcers, 
I have a couple favorites over anybody else. And I would say these players are Trevor Doyle, Serge Robert, and Jacques Mayotte. And uh, I'm searching for certain videos on Doyle that I know that are out there. And maybe later on I can... I can send you a list of these fights that I'm still looking for, and you can also put it up on your Twitter account. Yep. But I know there's seven or eight fights from Doyle that I, I still need to add to my collection. And the same thing I could say for this LNH tough guy, David Lacroix. Uh, I made his DVD set, and it's now four volumes strong, but I'm still missing quite a few of his fights from the first five or six years of his career. And I know that at least half of those fights have been recorded somewhere, but it's such a dying hobby. It's so hard to find people who have, you know, this footage at this point. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. You throw out Serge Roberge. Yeah. What? Uh... Yeah. Well, he's just like, I think I... I told Joe and I told many other people that in my eyes, Serge Roberts is he's the master, he's the sensei of them all. Like he could beat you every way he wanted. And he wasn't the biggest guy, probably wasn't the strongest guy, but he was so versatile, so tough and so smart. And I really love that uh, Stevens, uh, Stevens, uh, a killer campaign article he wrote on Serge's 94-95 uh, season in the AHL but that was such a dominant season but like Serge uh, wow, he's, uh, he's a master that's all I can say he is, I agree no, without a doubt and uh, <clears throat> yeah, and, you know and his brother wasn't too bad either no, yeah, actually hey, no uh, I'm sure you've also noticed in the Enforcer group there's a gentleman called, I hope I can get this pronunciation at least partly correct, uh, Aguilai Messia. He has now been putting up these old fights from the Newfoundland Senior League. And I hope Mr. Messia is listening to, to this podcast. I have no way to contact you, but you have some footage that I would love to have on DVD, and I can send you something you know great in return. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to connect with you, you know, Mr. Mercier. Well, I'll try to see if I can make that happen. I'll get a. We'll get Alec involved. We'll we'll straighten all this out. We'll get this. Yeah, the old Maritime League. That was some crazy shit over there. Oh, definitely. And like, and like to consider how tough that league was at the time. But still, like even in in the last ten years, like I think the uh, senior league from that region. They were producing some pretty tough guys, like I explained to you in one of my many, many emails about this guy called Ryan Murphy. Yep. He, yeah, he was just, you know, fighting down in the senior league there, and then his coach knew some people in the LNH, and he's played a bunch of games there and had a lot of great fights and, like, a lot of even fights against guys like the Animal Therio and all, all the meatheads there. And basically, like Ryan told him, one of his interviews that when he went to the LNH, he had no tactics because he he didn't even know basically how to fight. He he you know just been fighting in that senior league and maybe in the bars a bit, and then uh, 
after one game or something like that, the coach asked him that. So Ryan, when you go for the first first grab, where do you wanna, you know, take a hold on the jersey? And he didn't even have an a- answer. He would just said, "Well, I'll, I'll just grab some, somewhere and you know, st- you know, start throwing punches." So he was like such a natural fighter, and I made a DVD on this guy, and it's a damn toe-to-toe TKO KO slugfest. It's incredible. Well, I'll tell you, and it's funny you mentioned the the senior league in there in the Maritimes. I it's actually just yesterday. I somebody had posted a video. And it was just a short. It was about five or six minute uh, compilation of Nick Foran or Foran. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's the same guy, Mr. Melcier. Yeah, well, I, I watched that, and it's like, and I and I remember him from the Quebec League, um, and I know he's on Twitter, and I, I he said he's listened to this show. I hope he listens. If he's listening to this now, get a hold of me. Answer your Twitter direct messages. I know you're. Not, he's not on Twitter very often. I want to get him on the show. Uh, oh, yeah, because we yeah, talked privately a couple times on Twitter, and he has a funny brashier story that I want him to tell. And there's also a guy, I think he lives in Edmonston, New Brunswick, who's writing a book on the old Republican League. So really, all, oh, that yeah. would be that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, so I would highly encourage that all the. All the fans of the old school hockey of the you know eighties nineties senior hockey, you go online, Google, and you search for Re- Republican Hockey League book or something like that. But I found these articles few months ago, and I can't wait, you know, for this book because you know there were so many great players in that league, and you know like Jacques Mayotte and all these guys. So, wow. Well, Doug Smith. Yeah, Dougie. Well, you know Doug. Dougie. A little bit, yeah. We haven't talked in quite a few years, but uh, when he and Adam first published their book, uh, I was a fanboy, so I, I wanted you know to do something to help these two gentlemen who had been actually very good to me. I remember Adam Fratasio sending me a bunch of hockey fight tapes across the pond, free of charge. And even one one time, he sent me a, this nice signed photo, 8 by 10 uh, from a fight between Dennis Bonvey and Doc Smith. And that was about the nicest gift I've ever received. And it's the photo is actually even now framed on my wall. But yeah, I, uh, I, I made a website for those two, uh, two gentlemen and I haven't talked to Doc in many years, but I'm really happy for him and for Adam that how big and how recognized his story has now become, you know, I'm not maybe the biggest fan of those movies, but I'm really, really thrilled to see all those NHL tough guys in Mel Angelstad and boys, you know, getting a chance to be involved in a Hollywood movie. No, absolutely. And Adam, like you said, the author of Doug's book, Goon, um, he's such a nice guy. Uh, I can remember back in the old message board when Adam first kind of had the idea to write the book, he yeah. and I spent a lot of time talking through email and he was telling me the ideas for the book and the stories that were going to go in it. And, uh, and then to see it, uh, and this, you know, and then a couple of years later to see it come out and do so well, 
yeah, I was really happy for those guys. And like you said, Adam was a nice guy, and we used to send tapes back and forth. And it's funny you mentioned that picture. I have the exact same autographed picture. I bet you it says he was he was uh, all show and no go. Your friend Doug Smith. That's what mine says. Yeah, because uh, but yeah, no, those they're uh, yeah, Adam's a good dude. Yeah, I think it was only like two weeks ago I sent you tons of old stuff from my archives, and I think I actually sent you that old message thread from that old Drop the Gloves Enforcer forum where Doc Smith makes his first appearance as a message board writer. And uh, this morning I had the pleasure of listening to your episode with Alec from Fight for Fighting podcast. And Alec... You made me feel like an old fart. You you were talking about the old Drop the Gloves website. Yep. Like like it was a holy grail and that you have stumbled upon something new and great. Oh, my God, I felt so old at that moment. But really, uh, a lot of those you know topics and threats there, uh, I have saved on my hard drive. And like uh, I have sent you that stuff, and I can send this stuff to Alec or to anyone who's just interested in learning the stories behind the, these enforcers and the fights because I think uh, if you just go online and start watching random fights it became, it becomes kind of boring after a while but when you understand the context and you know the stories behind the fighters or the fights yeah, all that stuff just gains so much more substance You know, when you are more aware of what was going on all right, we're back here. A little, I had to take a little break. I said I, I took the breaks. I made you wait so long. Now I forgot what we were talking about. We we're bouncing around so much, but uh, we we did kind of mention, uh, you know. Uh, of course, I got to. I'm doing air quotes. Know you? Um, we talked uh, from the old message board days, like you were talking with Alec, talking yeah. about the the drop the gloves board and the fried chicken and everything. Um, the old message board days, and of course the tape trading. And you had mentioned yeah. Adam sending you tapes and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure I'm. I think we probably did some tape trading. I think um, might be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For for the younger folks out there, I mean, they've heard me rant and rave about VHS tapes and everything, but I could, and what a pain in the ass it was. <laughs> what was it like to go through in Finland to try to get this stuff? Wow. Okay. So I would say that uh, the first hockey fight tapes uh, from North America I received in 95 or 96. And in order for me, to get those tapes first, I would have to find a way to connect with people. And thank God for the hockey news and their ads section. <laughs> yeah. If the, if the <laughs> younger folk don't remember or know, there used to be hockey fights available in the hockey news ad section. So that was one source for me to go to. And then later on, you know, you mentioned this enforcer forums and fried chickens and all these places so i got to know some good people sometimes they will just send me tapes and later on when i was able to uh add more to my collection i i would send them something back and you know there's so many names that i you know probably forgotten but i definitely have to bring up joe lucido's name here again uh he sent me a bunch of tapes and when we were working on on the on sammy helen's book joe went 
so far and beyond, you know, anything that me or Sammy could have imagined. Poor Joe probably spent like an like I don't know, hundred hours making a compilation on Sammy's fights from the AHL, IHL, and the NHL. And he sent us those tapes free of charge. And later on, guys like Ross Perovsky and John Kaminsky and Rob Way, all these people, they would send me the tapes. But sometimes I would have to pay for the tapes. And that's when it became really interesting. There was no internet banking at the time, no PayPal. So I would go to my local bank office and I would have to send an international money transfer and let's say that I would I would uh, buy five hockey fight tapes, $25 each and I would have to pay for the shipping uh, that was between I don't know, 50 to $60 at the time, so let's say that the total amount of money I would have to spend on getting these five tapes was uh, $160. But of course, the bank, they, they, they wanted a cut. So no matter if I wanted to send $1 or $1,000, I would have to pay in U.S. dollars approximately, I would say, 75 to $80 fee for sending this money order. Or, oh. Yeah. Okay. And then... It will take anything between one to three months to get delivered. And of course, you know, uh, international shipping at that time, there was no tracking codes or anything. So I I always opted for the slowest and cheapest possible option, which was still pretty expensive. So I would say that from the moment I sent the money order to the moment when I received the tapes, it, it was anything between five to eight months. But, you know, with this modern age, you can just go on YouTube and find all the music videos you want, all the hockey fights you want, all the boxing matches you want. There's no sense of discovery anymore. Like, I I can never forget the first time when I actually saw Link Gates' fight on my TV screen. It It was very blurry quality shitty quality, like a fucking 15th generation copy of the original VHS tape. But when I saw that Link Gates versus Joey Coaster round one for the first time, wow, it was just like an unbelievable moment, like holy shit, that's actually Link Gates and he's a legend and I've only heard stories about him. And now it's funny to think, let's say that this happened in 95 or 96, Link was only like three years removed of his NHL career, and he was already this missing Link legend. <laughs> no, and like, yeah, oh, I know. It's it's funny you talk about that because it was the same way here. I had the same thing, right? Um, you know, I've I've often said that on here with the 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 new generation. They don't everything's so easy now. You, you can yeah. look at any guy at any time, and everything's on YouTube and whatever, but. They don't understand the um, what went into putting that clip on YouTube. Yeah, and like for example, hey, young folks, if I wanted to see a female body <laughs> when I was a, like a teenager, I would have to play 
street poker game on my Commodore 64 in order to see maybe Samantha Fox's tits. So you actually had to make an effort to see a female. Not unlike these days. You can just go online and boom, boom, boom. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, yeah. We had to hope somebody's older brother had a Playboy somewhere and you could steal it. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. There was exactly. No, everything. And I think that's the thing, right? Even just with the society, it's uh, instant gratification. And it's, uh, I think um, people just don't understand the 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 work that went into the getting that footage. I mean, I'm not saying, oh, how hard it is to upload something to you. That's not what I'm talking about. That's easy to upload shit to YouTube. No, it's the actual footage that you're uploading to YouTube. The work that went into getting that footage yeah. is unbelievable that people don't understand. Like, you had to either know a player or a team or someone had to sneak a camera in. And I was talking about Dave there. You know, history of hockey fights talking about when he had to sneak the camcorder into Traverse City to record <laughs> all those fights. Or the guys in Philly, they used to sneak the camera in at the Phantoms games and record all that, that stuff. That was from like, the, the upper like deck. for those, I would say for those, what, four, five, six years, I would always wait for the moment when I knew that there would be this footage available from the uh, this uh, Traverse City tournament. Because yeah. I would see all, all these guys there from Bullgard to Sheffield Meyer to David Kasavka. You know, it was something to look forward to for sure. Oh, yeah. And it was like, yeah. And like you said, when you got that tape, when you made that for, like I said, when I first got onto the fried chicken, does anybody know why it was called fried chicken? I'm not sure why. I've was, never heard the story. No. no, I don't know what it is. I, 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 I'm out there and people listening. I know I got a bunch of old fried chicken members that are listed, that listen to this show. Can someone get a hold of me and tell me why it was called fried chicken? <laughs> I've had a bunch of people like they don't like the younger people. They don't know what the hell I'm talking about fried chicken because of course it's gone now too. They're like, what? What are you talking about fried chicken? Like what? Popeyes, KFC? What are you talking about? I'm like, no. The fight site was called the fried chicken. I think it was, was it fried chicken fight. I don't even know. If it was just called fried chicken. Anyway, yes, fight forum. Yeah, yeah. So it was about hockey fights again. I don't know why the name, but yeah, when I first got on there and like whatever ninety nine or whenever it came, it was, I was one of the original members. I know that I couldn't yeah. believe that there was other people out there that had hockey fights. And here I yeah. had a couple tapes that I had bought from the hockey news, like you said, or actually our local video store had them. I remember recording a couple. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, they had like these just these mixed NHL tapes that. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd rent on the weekend. I must have rented the thing a hundred times. You know, and uh, it was mid-80s fights. That's where I saw Churlo and Maguire for the first time. But it was, uh, so I had about five or six tapes, and I just thought I was the I was the king of the fight world. And then all of a sudden I got on fried chicken, and, you know, you got Nick Vavonia and all these guys. They have hundreds of tapes, and it's like, oh, my God. Like, you know. Yep. So, yeah, you trade with these guys, and, oh, it was like Christmas when it would show up in your mailbox. And I couldn't imagine for you, you spend all that money, and you got to wait eight months. Yeah, you you literally had, it would literally be Christmas when those six tapes showed up. And, like, you uh, you mentioned about, you know, the the modern age, age uh, instant gratification. Like, that's something. Now I have to talk serious hockey for a moment, but, like, you know, it's been such an obvious change in these modern athletes, you know, compared to the 30-year-olds or the 25-year-olds, uh, for example. Uh, one of the biggest tasks for me personally, I would say in the last six years, especially uh, those four years involved with the with the young Italian players and the national team, uh, I really have to be there to support and guide them 
in a, I would say, non-manipulative way, because they are their heads are already, you know, so to speak, in the NHL. When in fact their physique, their mental level, their their technical skills, they are still like somewhere far, far beyond. And uh, sometimes it's so frustrating when you are dealing with these youngsters who are used to getting everything you know if they just snap their fingers but they have lost the concept that in team sports or individual sports you need to put in the work first before you get the rewards and that's something that no matter what my title has been i've had you know the human interaction the importance of that it's grown so much more but sometimes it's very hard for me basically to listen to somebody whine over things that I would have never whined about because, like, when I played hockey as a little boy in Helsinki, they had basically already at that time between the ages of 6 to 10, uh, the, the, the first-level teams, so to speak, were IFK and Joker. Then there was Group B, and then there was Group C, where I would always belong. And even if in school we would have the sports class or the at- athletics class, if I knew that I would have to play against those guys who played in Group A or that first group, I would be, you know, overmatched so, so bad. But again, I learned about the meaning of competition right from the start, and I would, you know, it's so hard for me to listen to these young players whine, whine, whine all the time and blah, blah, how good they are and and that the coaches are fucking idiots and blah, blah, blah. They're like spoiled little brats sometimes, but hey, the society is changing and, um, you know, I'm slowly but surely becoming becoming a dinosaur, you know, even though, even though I, uh, I, I try to fight it. But like when you talk to Roman Volpat, some of the things what he said about the Western League and the KI. Wow. He it it was like he was reading my mind and I got to know Vopad when he played in Finland and he uh he's a man that I look up to and I know that he and Shane Toporovsky they both have this great experience, you know, playing pro and junior uh you know between Europe and Europe and North America. And when I have listened to these gentlemen talk about hockey. Wow, they are so smart because they have seen the best of both worlds in in a, in a very crucial time of uh, in the evolution of hockey. I would say. Yeah, no, absolutely, and like you said, uh, um, a friend of mine still coaches and runs a team in in junior A, and uh, and he, like I said, he. You know, same age. Well, he's a little older than I am, but he played in the '80s and junior. He played pro in the East Coast League and coached in the Quebec League and the LNAH and coached. Uh, you know, he's coached all over junior and junior hockey, yeah. and junior A. And uh, yeah, just talking to him about the differences from 15 years ago to now um, with the players' attitudes, like he said. Um, and again, where I'm not paint brushing oh they're all like this because no they're not all like that no 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 but he was just like but yeah the level of uh entitlement is pretty uh unbelievable and uh you know and with the parents getting involved and oh everyone's everyone's the next uh you know joe sackick and you know and i mean parents have always you know the parents have always been like that uh 
you know, their their kids the best and everything else. But I mean, uh, I I think it was it, it's just more the. I, like he goes, it's just the the parents' involvement now in the at the junior level. Like before, it was always sort of like you know whether it be good for bad. I mean, there was some bad incidents as well, but like you're sort of like the coach is in charge. Yeah. What, what he tells you to do, that's what you're going to do, and this is the team and and that sort of thing. Well, now I mean they interfere so much, and no, don't listen to him, and the agents get involved, or advisors and everything, and it's. Um, yeah, it's a it's a completely different uh, landscape these days. For sure, and like I've seen these cases myself, where you know, the player who's surrounded by all these advisors and agents, and of course his parents, he is the one who doesn't have a say. Yes, and I'm very, very, very much afraid what that will do to um, to a young man's you know a development as a human being. And I have to tell you now one great story about the parents getting involved. Uh, I was uh, I had already been working for this Italian program for some time. I'm not going to name any names, but there was an interesting phone call one year that I received. It was from this one player's father, and I cannot, unfortunately, I cannot do any kind of imitation of his very groovy. English that he spoke with a very thick Italian accent, but it just you know tells you that our cultures might be a little different because you have to understand that hockey is a very very minuscule sport in Italy, unlike in Finland. Like Finland is the only European country where hockey is the number one sport, so we probably have different kind of set set of ethics and moral and. This father gives me a phone call. Hey, uh, let's talk business now. I'm like, okay, what do you have in mind? Okay, listen to the father now, he said. How much money you need in order to get my son to play in this league in Finland? Do you need 1000 2000 or 5000 or more? I didn't know what the hell I should answer to this maniac. And I said, uh, sir... That it's not the way it works in Finland. You cannot buy your son a roster spot. And then, no, 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 you have to listen to me. You know, everything has its price. And I'm like, you know, thinking like, holy hell, is this like a fucking prank call or a candid camera or something? But no, he was very serious. And when I turned him down, it it wasn't a good moment and I, I can you know tell you this much and all my friends in Italy they will get a kick out of this because they know the people involved but the father also at you know at one point he organized his son's transfer from an Italian team to another league and he didn't do it in a very professional manner and this Italian team they actually released a statement on their website that this player and his family are never again welcomed to our city. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, and I mean, ultimately, I mean, you, you feel bad for the kid. Oh, oftentimes, yeah, but I can only tell you that uh, this young man in, in question, he really thought he was something else, but... He was 
brought up in a way that he will put himself above everybody else. And I know that he was a distraction in the locker room, you know, just to put it mildly. Yeah. And, well, there's all, all kinds of characters. And even, you know, the people who, uh, who listen to your sh- show in Sudbury or, or close to Sudbury, they can remember the days not, not too long ago when there was an interesting situation with the ownership and one of the players i was living in sudbury at the time and it was just so wrong when people get too involved in in you know trying to pave the way for their kids it's uh it's not very healthy no it's not and like you said it uh yeah and it uh it's it's i mean i get it's always been there but i think there's a lot more seems to be a lot more meddling now and at the same time, and it's always been this way, hockey's a dirty business too. And the way some of these junior teams and pro team conduct themselves is a little unsavory as well. And I've heard stories and uh, about you know just little things like oh, what they promise this and promise that, and then yeah, you know, and it's all bullshit or the or I mean, we won't even get into the L and H and money and all that. That's <laughs> that's a whole other yeah, but. I do want to talk to you about, uh, of course, everybody is familiar. Well, I, I always say everyone. I, if most of the people, I'm sure people listening to this podcast are familiar. Um, at back in 2005, there was a fight tournament in Prince George, and it was yeah. called the Hockey Enforcers Tournament, Black and Blue Tournament, whatever you want to call. It. It's on my YouTube channel if anybody wants to look this up. And the, and it was basically uh, ten guys. I think it was ten guys. I believe ten or twelve guys, and they they were going to have it here and have it there, and it kept getting banned and outlawed. And they finally had it in Prince George, and Dean Mayrad won it. And uh, but they wore like UFC type gloves, and, and but it was individual fights for a minute, and then it was judged and blah blah blah. It, it was all of our fight growing up as fight fans. We always used to say, "Oh man, I wish they would do a tournament." That would be great. Yeah. Of course, in our tournament, it was Probert versus, you know, Mel Engelstad and stuff like that, right? But this actually came to fruition in Prince George in 2005. Yeah. And what people don't, some people might not know, is in 2010, it happened in Finland again. And it was called the Ice Warriors. And you were a big part of that. Let's, uh... Want to go, pretty boy? minutes by yourself and you feel shame you know and then you get free the only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with miss mcgill And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 61 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing? Another Wednesday. And guess what, guys? I actually have an interview for you. Yes. My boy Jay, all the way out in Finland. 
he's an interesting cat. I think you guys will really dig him. Um, I've known Jay for since the old message board days, and uh, he has worked in a, as a scout. Um, he is, he's a coach. Um, the Finnish media dubbed him the high priest of hockey violence, and that wasn't a compliment. Um, you will hear that story and a whole lot more. He is an author. He uh, actually wrote uh, Sammy Hellenius's autobiography, um, as well as uh, an organizer, promoter. Um, he was actually part of the Ice Warriors tournament in 2010, which was a hockey fight tournament, uh, much like the 2005 edition of the Black and Blue tournament, the Hockey Enforcer tournament in Prince George, that Dean Mayrad won. If any of you are listening or like, what am I talking about? Um, it, it, it's just as I just exactly as I said it. Um, guys wore MMA gloves and uh, squared off and fought in a bracket tournament. Uh, it was like my Twitter tournaments. It was like the Bob Probert Invitational come to life. Um, and how do I see that? Well, I can uh, tell you that they're on YouTube. Uh, if you go to Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, uh, my channel, uh, just type in Hockey Enforcers. It's in two parts. Um, and the whole show was up there. It's uh, Mayrad, Segroy, Link Gates, uh, Jason Rushton, uh, Derek Parker, um, lots of guys. Um, yeah, and it was uh, Mark Rader. It was a really interesting. T- Link Gates it was an interesting tournament. Um, definitely check it out if you haven't. And actually, and also uh, Jay's uh, Ice Warriors tournament is up there as well. I won't tell you who won that though. I won't spoil it for you. But uh, yeah, they're really unique events and. Uh, we get the behind-the-scenes story of the the the, uh, the ups and downs and the follies that went into it, and uh, and like I said, Jay's uh, he's been around the hockey world, and uh, and I'll tell you guys, uh, you know, we always talk about back in the day, oh, we didn't have satellite, there was no YouTube, and you know, we, you know, three channels and rabbit ears, and we were so hard done by. Wait until you hear the shit that Jay had to go through to to uh, feed the obsession of the hockey fights. Um, unbelievable. And, of course, in Finland, I mean, I'm sure there isn't a real strong, thriving fight community. So, uh, you know, he was sort of an island unto himself. But uh, And, like I said, he's uh, and they're not big fans of hockey violence over there. And uh, there's a very interesting story that Jay tells um yeah, with, it involves Ryan Band and Bush and the whole deal. But uh, no, I think you guys will really dig this interview. I know I had a lot of fun talking to Jay, and it was great to finally set it up with him. I mean, it's like a nine-hour time difference, right? Because he's in Finland, so it was like every time I got home from work, you know, at four o'clock. I mean, it's the middle of the night there, and he's already sleeping. So it was really hard to, uh, you know, we kept talking. Oh, we got to do the interview. Got to get you on the show. Got to get you on the show. And uh, finally, I took Friday off because, of course, I wanted to see the idiot neighbors make sure they moved out and got out of here but they actually left a day early um yeah it was the only thing that pricks did the whole time they lived here that was a favor um oh so nice folks it's so nice anybody that's listened to this uh my my show the last couple uh episodes knows the hassle of my neighbors and the saga there so i won't uh, go into it here but i gotta say it's been so nice with them gone it's like a library around here it's just tremendous um but yes, so I had taken Friday off to make sure, you know, to watch them leave and everything. And uh, it actually worked out great because so I got to, you know, I phoned, phoned Jade about, uh, you know, 10 a.m. my time. And of course, you know, it, wor- it worked out perfect, you know, as it was, um, you know, uh, 7 o'clock at night there. So, um, no, we talked for a few hours and uh, 
Uh, for the show, I mean, I think we talked about an hour. <laughs> we talked for about an hour before the interview, and probably about another half an hour after it. So, like I said, we're like a couple old ladies in the in the knitting circle. But uh, you know, and then um, you know, and then I, I said uh, in Friday between Friday and Saturday, I did. I also interviewed Steve Adams on Saturday, um, who runs the Inside Edge Hockey Development School, as well as was. Uh, play junior as well as minor pro for a few years and he told some great stories and uh i'll tell you folks you, you think i can talk i can tell you steve could talk the years off a of brass monkey but he was lots of fun to talk to and of course he has uh run-ins with serge robert and carrie toporowski and uh there's lots of stories in there that we share and mano rayom yes he played with her in las vegas before the uh, golden knights and and uh, was in Nashville before the Predators, uh, you know, back in the minor league days, the Nighthawks and the Aces. And uh, my friend Kurt as well, he talks, we talk about him and uh, that Steve played with. And uh, no, it was just, a, it was a really fun talk with Steve too. So I was really, and they, another guy that we had, you know, gone back and forth and oh, I've got to get you on the show and all that. But it was a lot of fun talking to him. So, but between those two, and then of course I had to release uh, uh, my Sunday episode, episode 60, where I talked uh, about the, you know, just the, the history of the tough guys that have come through the Laval Chiefs and, uh, you know, gave a little talk about that. And I don't want to say I mailed the, mailed the episode in because I did go through the rosters and stuff, but it was sort of a last minute thing. I wasn't going to actually do anything, but I figured, well, no, I'll get some content out. But I figured it out after I think I mentioned it in that episode. Uh, I, I basically did seven hours of podcasting in two days. So my throat was pretty shot. Uh, my voice, I, I can't talk like I used to, so it uh, it was uh, starting to uh, getting a little labored towards the end. But uh, no, I was happy to get those interviews done, and I have a few more actually set up right now. Um, hopefully, recording here this week with a couple guys. So uh, really, really, uh, like I said, it's it's funny how it goes. You go, uh, I, be- I believe I said this in the episode six. I can't believe, like I said, I've talked so much this last little. I can't remember what, it's, what I've said and what I haven't said, but. Um, I believe I talk about how it's sort of like a hitting streak, you know, uh, when, when you're doing interviews, it's like boom, 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 you get three and four, right. You know, in two weeks. And then other times it's like a desert and you can't get anybody to pick up the phone. So it's highs and lows, right. At the old interview podcasting world, but no, I've got a few done here. So I'm really looking forward to bringing them to you guys. And like I said, um, um, in terms of the being on the hockey podcast network, like I said, that uh, all the teams are represented. So whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. Terry Ryan's on the episode, on the uh, network, as well as uh, you know they're signing uh, new ex players. I know that's a, a real push here with the new company that they want to get some ex players involved. I know Craig Ludwig's doing helping out on a Dallas show. Brad Lieb started his own show, The Life After Hockey. So it should be an interesting little first uh, new year here with the on the network. So some new shows, new content. Um, of course, for my off-network friends, um, you know, I have Dan, Paul, and Kelly over at the Obey the Puck show, Fred and Dave at the Slewfoot show for some current hockey for you. Those those are good folks to listen to. Um, as well as, of course, old Joe Lazito over at the uh, Coliseum Chronicles who uh, covers Islander his toughness. 
and uh, he's interviewed everyone from Mick Fakota to Jason Strug with Aaron Asham. Does a great job. Just actually released a second part to uh, or part two of his Graham Townsend interview. Uh, and Joe, like I said, Joe always does a good job. And of course, then Alec over at the Five for Fighting podcast, who just released an episode, actually his first one in a couple months. Uh, you know, with the trials and tribulations. Of course, I had him on a couple a couple episodes ago, just you know, with the battle of COVID and of course the move in and everything else. And uh, so it's been a try you know month and a half two months for alec but uh he's back at her and i know he's got some interviews lined up and uh so it's it's good to see him back in the game but uh other than that guys uh i'll I'll keep it short today um yeah like i said i'm really happy to bring this interview to you and as well as uh, the steve adams interview uh which will be next wednesday this sunday i'll I'll, uh i got some stuff to yap at you about but uh like i said uh wednesdays going forward i'd really like wednesdays to be kind of my interview show and then sunday will be kind of the the shorter um rant and rambling and raving show um you know with the occasional guest um looking to have a a, a, a former player on to talk about it. I always kind of like to do the five toughest opponents kind of getting into that I kind of dig it I did that with Mazer, I've done that with Graf so uh, hopefully this gentleman um, you know I know he's been busy but hopefully we can find some time to talk to him because um, uh, I know he's got an interesting list there so uh, we've been just texting back and forth and hopefully I know work's been really busy for him so hopefully he can take uh, you know 20 minutes 25 minutes to get off and uh, and we can just wrap that do that real quick for uh, for Sunday's show so uh, but we'll see but regardless, I will have something for you guys. But uh, in the meantime, let's get on with uh, Jay from Finland. Trust me, you guys will really dig this uh, interview. Jay's a good dude. All right, and uh, all right, guys, have a good rest of the week. Stay safe, uh, and I will talk to you on Sunday. Thanks, guys. All right, here on the fourth line, voice all the way out in Europe, in Finland, I have the man once called the high priest of hockey violence, who the Finnish media wrote an article and said he needs to be put back in a submarine and shot back to Canada and deported my boy Jay. Jay, how are you doing today? What's happening? <laughs> Darren, how are you now? I, I'm very <laughs> good, and you? <laughs> Letter Kenny there, right? Eh, yeah, yeah. You got me with that one, yeah. You thought, yes, <laughs> good, and you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I know we, we had talked just before you got going. You're actually a uh, dual citizen, correct? Yeah, my mom uh, was born in Sudbury, Ontario, and I've had the pleasure of living my Canadian dream in Regina, Saskatchewan, and Sudbury, Ontario. Well, you're, I'm going to tell you, you're one of the few people that I ever heard about having the pleasure of living in Regina. But, all right, we'll go with that. <laughs> the bag. There, there's the Saskatoon-Regina thing coming out, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, before we get going, if anybody's wondering about that intro, that's like some real shit. Um where where did that come from? How, where did that uh, that whole bit come from? Oh, I think in uh, 2011 or 2012. And I think I still have this article stored somewhere. And it, it was something that I didn't quite like, but now I think it makes for a great story because uh, if somebody gets called the high priest of hockey violence... Uh, that sounds pretty serious, considering that uh, actually I, you know, because I I worked in pro hockey for so many years, and you know I I tend to scout around 250 games every year and all the practices. So uh, well, we will talk, and uh, you'll hear hear some stories, and maybe the fans of Fort Line Voice will gain a better understanding why I have this kind of stigma. 
No, absolutely. And like I said, this is, uh, you know, with the time difference over in Finland, it's always been sort of tough to kind of line things up. I mean, by the time I get home from work, I mean, you're you're getting ready to hit the sheets. So, I mean, but I have today off. So I said, well, we got to do this today because the time, this will work out. Because I think it's about, what, 8 o'clock there right now? Yeah, that's right, sir. Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to work out perfect. So got Jay on the line here for a little while. But like with all guests... How did uh, when did you first start in hockey? Tell us, tell tell the listeners about your playing career. <laughs> I wasn't much of a player. I was more of a wannabe player, or a, uh, I, I don't know. But uh, I can I can tell you about the first time <clears throat> I was on skates. I was begging my mom that mom, I want to go to that hockey school. I want to go to that hockey school. I was like five or six years old, and yeah. I went to the hockey school, and after like five minutes later, I uh, I started to cry that, oh, my feet are hurting, Mom, I want to go back home. So that's how I began my career in hockey. <laughs> I, I, think every, I, I think I had the same experience, actually. Yeah, yeah. everything's gung-ho until your feet hurt, and then it's like, yeah, it's time to go. Yeah, yeah. but like, uh, you know, uh, I never played any kind of professional hockey. Uh, I, I did play, <laughs> uh, well, play. Uh, in two preseason games on the third highest level of Finnish hockey called Suomisarja. And both times I was uh, called in because, uh, you know, they wanted to have <laughs> some kind of, uh, you know, security on the bench in case that something happens, even though I'm only 5'9", but uh, there's a reason why I knew some tricks and, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I never played pro and... Uh, it's actually a bit of a surprise that I've been able to make a career working in hockey as a scout and as a as director of hockey operations in in five different countries. So I'm very very grateful, and you know uh, we uh, we always like to talk about our friend uh, Joe Lozito. Yeah. and Joe Joe is a proud Italian man, and I I. I worked four years for the Italian Hockey Federation and for their national junior team program. And I promised Joe that if I ever go back to Italy, I will hire him to be the official hangaround of Team Italy. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that was the thing. And, well, I mean, before we get into your into the, you know, your scouting and all that, um, because, it, well, it's funny, um, I got to, of course, know you through the fight message boards. Yeah. And, uh, and then of course you, you worked with the blades and of course we have our mutual friend Brodsky with the blades. So, um, uh, with that, that's how I became more aware of you. But, um, how did you get in? Like, especially being in Finland and everything. I mean, obviously the hockey culture as we're going to get into later, um, isn't really set up for violence and fighting. I mean, that's obviously not, not like in a North American, especially back then. How did what interests you about the violent side of the game, and how did you get involved in that? Uh, well, I remember the first time I saw an actual fight uh, in a hockey game. This was in 1992, and it was uh, between uh, Iro Yarabi, who used to play for the uh, for the Nordiques, and some player from the HBK team. And of course, uh, I'm born in uh, 1981, so I grew up with those Nintendo consoles and, you know, Commodore 64s and all these computers. And every time that there was a new hockey game in the market, the first question everybody had was, how are the fights? How are the fights? Yep. So, 
yeah, so that's about it. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, well, and like I said, it just sort of, it, it grew from there, but uh, yeah, like in terms of, um, like you said, you were director of player personnel and, and that type of thing. Um, like for, for what teams and like what, what uh, like who did you all work with? Well, I'll give you a, a great story here. Uh, for the first couple of years, I was working as a scout and an agent for uh, two different companies there. And then, uh, I think this was in 2005, I went to see a road game. And then after the game, I went to see my friend Shane Toporowski. And Shane had been playing in, in Finland for some years, and we started talking hockey. And then he just asked me, like, uh, hey, would you have any interest, you know, to scout for Saskatoon Blades? And I was like, whoa, that would be great. Like, why are you, you know, you know, giving me this opportunity? And he said that that his dad was, you know, helping the Blades out a bit. And, you know, thanks to Shane and Don Toporowski, uh, I got to be the European scout for the Saskatoon Blades, and it was a lot of fun to learn two or three months ago that that my boss at the time, Jared Brodsky, is actually your childhood friend. So it's a very small world here. It is. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And after I did those uh, couple years for Saskatoon, then I got my opportunity to work in the uh, in the Finnish professional hockey in the, in Mestis. Mestis is the second highest level of Finnish pro hockey. I was there for two years and also did some scouting for the under-20 national team. And things just happened like Norway, Italy, France. And, you know, I'm very, very curious to see where where I will be in the time after covid yeah. Um, well, like you said, you worked. Uh, uh, well, you were in. You were in Canada too. You, yeah, I was. Uh, what year was that? Two thousand twelve and thirteen, and I had some great job interviews. Uh, I, I went to visit a couple hockey academies, and you know, g- gave their uh, <clears throat> gave my job interview there, and also talked to some. Some major junior teams there and some some tier two teams, but uh, it it just you know didn't happen. And then I got <laughs> an opportunity to go back to Europe in Norway, and that 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 was a you know a great uh, great trip. I stayed there I think three months, and then uh, one morning I go to the gas station to buy a to buy myself a coffee and I read the newspaper that this team is going down and, and they are facing bankruptcy. And I start making phone calls and asking, you know, people like what's going on. And they just give me this very lazy explanation about a small accounting error. Uh-oh. And then I make, I make some phone calls to the uh, hockey federation where I knew some people. And I got the message that it, it would be a pretty good idea for me to leave. And that's what I did. <laughs> so basically there, I went for the job interview in Norway. And I asked to see, you know, certain documents and blah, blah, blah. And apparently they showed me forged documents. And, you know, <laughs> that happens in European pro hockey. And I know shit like this also happens in, in North America minor pro. Like, you know, when we had the Ice Warriors fight tournament in Finland back in 2010, 
I loved all the stories that boys told me about the LNH, and they, they loved my stories about U- European hockey and, you know, just the mere craziness and, you know, how sometimes the players and the coaches and, you know, we are just, you know, a bunch of outlaws. And if you are not actually working in the highest, you know, levels of hockey, then, you know, shit might hit the fan. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, like, in the real high level of hockey in Finland and the, over in Europe is one thing, but, yeah, like you said, when you start getting down in the the Tier 2 and Tier 3s, yeah, it probably gets a little LNAH-ish by the sounds yeah, of it. Yeah, but I, I would say, like, I have a lot of great stories and I have a lot of bad stories, but the more time goes by, even the bad, you know, those bad moments and bad stories, they turn into great stories and great memories because... I've been out there, I've had the chance, you know, to live in five different countries and, you know, I I have a lot of, you know, childhood friends who have been working, you know, the same job ever since they, you know, graduated from school, so I can't complain. No, absolutely, and I know just from talking to you uh, privately, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, you've you've lived a... an interesting life for sure and like you said uh sometimes you just got to look back at on things that uh, you know like you said at one time were were the shits and you were kind of depressed about it but uh when you look back you know 10 years later or 15 years later you kind of laugh about it right it's all life chalk it up to life experience right yeah for sure and you know and yeah i would say that uh Every experience that I've had in hockey, you know, uh, the good ones and the bad ones are something that I will cherish. And, you know, being here in Europe right now, I've actually had, you know, the opportunity to get to know a lot of, you know, Canadian and American players. And sometimes when they've had, you know, some troubles, they've they have given me a call. And it's actually great to see, like, you know, how how well the hockey people actually they they bond and they help each other out if there's an emergency or you know and uh, there's been some missed paychecks and but there's been <laughs> there's been like such crazy stories that I really think that someday maybe in you know 2040 I'll I'll need to write a book or two. Well, you, that's a good segue because you've written a book. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, tell us about that. If anybody remembers the big deep defenseman for the Dallas Stars and Calgary Flames and the Avalanche from Finland, Sami Helenius, or like we say, Sami Helenius. He was uh, six five for six six and two thirty, and he's the only Finn ever to make a career in the NHL as a tough guy. And he had some great stories in in his in his career and like basically he went to the ahl at the age of 20 with no prior fighting experience and he told and he told me and that the first two years he basically learned every possible way how to take a beating because you know <laughs> when you go to the american hockey league in 1993 i think it was as a 20 year old with yeah. no prior fighting experience you're six six there's a lot of interesting characters who've been already fighting anything between 5 to 15 years. So, yeah, and then probably his most famous fight came against George Larocque, where Larocque just hammered him. But uh, Sammy had done something stupid, and 
he 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 stood up for himself, you know, and he uh, he paid the price. But he got a lot of respect, even from Mr. L- you know, Mr. George Larocque himself. He told the media today after that Sammy has a lot of guts. Yeah. Well, how did like did like how did that all that, how did that whole book thing come apart come apart or come about? Oh, did uh, wow? Like, did you were you friends with him previously? No. Uh, it was uh, in 2003, the Ice Hockey World Championships were being held in Helsinki, Finland. And I had always wanted to go and interview Sami Helenius because at this time I was making my living as a part-time hockey scout and a part-time freelance writer. And I went to see Sami after the tournament. We talked for like, I don't know, five or six hours. And then I just asked him after the interview... Sammy, what what do you think if we would write a book of your career? And he said, "Yeah, let's do it." And we did it. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, now, how was that book received over there? Uh, it was the first hockey book in Finland that actually explained, you know, bits and pieces what goes behind the scenes. It was the first book of, uh, let's say, a journeyman player and not an initial superstar like, you know, a Timo Solani or, or a Jerry Curry. And Sammy talked about, you know, certain things that he had seen and, you know, certain people he had fought and, you know, he knew the stories. And there's a great quote about this one player who had been called up from the ECHL to fight in the AHL. Before the game, this guy took 14 Sudafets that are meant for people with with asthma. And usually just one of those is more than enough to help an, an asthmatic person. And this poor guy never gets to play one shift in that game. He's just sitting there at the end of the bench, you know, shaking and trembling, being all hyped up because of all those Sudafets that he had taken. <laughs> So, so that kind of book that comes out in 2004 and explains this kind of stuff and not about the glamorous life of an NHL millionaire with 15 new different cars and a mansion, it was something different because it, it was like the story from, from a guy who's in the working class and not in the upper class, higher class, so... How how is like well like you said we're gonna get into the kind of basically how violence in Finland just doesn't really you know they're not really they're not really happy about well how 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 did they take Sammy like I mean I guess he played in the NHL so I mean he'd have you know they I I would just do they respect him or do they kind of look at him like just some goon or well Sammy he was such. Uh... How would I say? Like, he was such an honest player. He was never suspended for for any, like, sucker punches or, you know, hitting from behind or, you know, knee checking or anything, you know, dirty like that. All the penalty minutes that he gained, they came from, you know, honest body checks and honest fights and stuff like that. So I think it was very good that Sammy wasn't one of those loose cannon, you know, type of guys. But we've had our share of those players also, you know, patrolling guys in the in the Finnish league. But uh, of course, he had a he had a target on his back, and I think uh, sometimes the refs gave him a lot of you know easy penalties and stuff like that. But yeah, what can you do? 
who are who are some of the guys? Some of the what are out there people listening um, that would some of the Finnish guys, the European guys that you helped, uh, you know, come over to or North America to play, whether it be in junior or uh, or what have you. Do you got any? Uh, well, hit us hit us with some names here, Jay. Well, I would say that I haven't actually been helping uh, too many Finnish players to you know to uh, travel across the pond. But uh, I, uh, when I was scouting for the Blades, they drafted a guy called Yuri Niemi based on my recommendations. And uh, it was actually a great story there. Uh, they had the uh, draft day and Lauren Mulliken, who was the coach, was the coach at the time. He gave me a phone call and he said, OK, uh, it's going to be our pick next and I'm I'm gonna put you on the spot here, kid. You have these three names here for us. Who will be your pick? And that was the first time I was ever put on a spot because it's easy, you know, just to scout and just to make the reports. But that was the first time I had the pressure, like, oh my god, I'm gonna be responsible for selecting the player for the Saskatoon Blades. And for me being, you know, Finnish Canadian, it's uh it's a great honor to work for a Canadian team. And luckily, this guy, Niemi, he he came to the dub as a 16-year-old, and I'm not sure if this record still holds, but at the time, he was the youngest European All-Star in the Western Hockey League. Too bad that he, uh, when he turned pro, he became very, very injury-prone. And you asked me about, you know, moving and helping these players. Uh, I've actually <laughs> spent so much more time helping guys, you know, from France and Italy in, in you know, getting their international opportunities in hockey. I haven't been involved in Finnish hockey for, I don't know, nine years now or so. Yeah, well, like I said, well, like, uh, who, who's the kid in the Ontario League? His name is escaping me right now. That led penalty minutes? Oh, the European guy. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph Sladok, Joseph Sladok from Slovakia. Uh, I just talked to him this morning. Uh, unfortunately, he got injured in a game yesterday. He 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 broke his leg there, so he's going to be out for a few months. But yeah, Sladok, he uh, he went to Plymouth Whalers in the OHL uh, around 15 years ago, and he was the first European to lead the OHL in PIMS, and he also played uh, in the Central League, and he played over in, in the UK in both the First League and the Second League, and now he's been playing a few years in, in Slovakia, but there was a time <laughs> when he was playing the second the, the second level in, in the UK, and I had a friend coaching in Finland, and he wanted he wanted to have a solid and tough stay-at-home D. And I, I told him, well, I know a guy, but you have to trust me. Because he plays in the second highest level of hockey in England. And he was like, you know, holy shit, like, what are you fucking trying to sell me? And then I showed some game videos and, you know, fight videos of Sladok. And I went to see the first practice, if I recall correctly. And the coach told me, like, yeah, that guy can skate. You were right. But again, a guy like that, you know, coming to play hockey in Finland, he had this bullseye target on his back. And in his first game, he had a little bit of a collision with the other player. 
and he got five minute major in a game misconduct or a match misconduct. So it's been tough for you know some guys to come here because no matter how clean they play, the refs are still very very biased. Well, yeah, and I mean, okay, well, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but let, let's uh, let's get into this whole this whole crazy because you've told me some stories about the Finland. And well, like you said, we talked about the news report about you, but just in general, just Finnish hockey and their and the league and the media's complete disdain for any type of violence. Um, and I mean, we get into a whole government thing here, but um, yeah. And you you initially talked about uh, um, a number of the guys you said that came over to Finland in terms of toughness, and and your relationship with uh, with a, a coach named Doug Shedden. Who came over there? How did, how did all this happen? And, and let, let's get into this Finnish story here. Well, this is only my side of the story. But, well, that's uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Sheds he came to Finland uh, fifteen or sixteen years ago, and I got to know him because I was still living in in Helsinki at the time, and he coached the other team in Helsinki, IFK. And the next year, he went to the rival team I don't get it so there's two teams in 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 Helsinki and actually right now this Jokerit team that they are they are playing in the KHL so they they jumped leagues a few years ago but anyways uh Shedden comes in and right from the first preseason game his players didn't back down and they actually initiated a lot of altercations, and there were a bunch of fights. And in the first uh, regular season game, they had four or five fights. And then all of a sudden, a lot of these other teams started to wonder, like, okay, how can we counter on, how, you know, this, you know, Doc Shedden's team? And everybody kind of knew that. I knew the players from North America who knew what to do when when they dropped the gloves and, uh, a lot of these teams, you know, started signing these forward liners, so to speak. And I uh, actually made a list here for you and, and for your audience of all the tough guys who've ever played in Finland. But actually, this list start from starts from the 1980s. And I'm not sure if you wanna if you wanna hear this whole list of you know tough players, you know, who've ever played in Finland. Absolutely. Hey, we got we got nothing but well, time here, man. Absolutely. <laughs> So I remember you met, you had this great podcast with Mr. Jeff Archers, and yep. I sent you I sent you some intel of, uh, about his time in Finland. So Jeff Archers is one. Then there's my my friend uh, Trevor Doyle, and he played for the team IFK, and I grew up as an IFK fan. And this is a great story. Uh, after this story, I'll. I'll give you a rundown of all these other names, but IFK was playing this so-called European Championship League, and they played against a team from Germany, the Frankfurt Lions. And they had a lot of you know Canadian players who really liked to rough it up, especially after they were losing, like, I don't know, 9-4 to four or something like that. And then IFK's GM at the time, Jarmo Kekäläinen, who is now the GM of the uh, of the Blue Jackets in the NHL, he did some very smart moves behind the scenes because he wanted to secure his team, 
his team star players safety in in the next game in Germany. So he found out that the year before Trevor Doyle had given two beatings on the Frankfurt Lions enforcer Rick Hayward, who was who was no slouch. No. So IFK brings Doyle in and when they go back to Germany, there's not even one fucking body check, you know, played by those Lions players and Doyle's presence just calmed the situation. Like it, it was incredible. So I'll I'll keep on going down now with this list. So Jeff Archers was one. Then this guy became pretty famous some years ago as a coach. He had this little scene. I think it was in the SPHL. Brent Sapergia. <laughs> we've had Sean, Sean Gagnon, Dan Fott, Josh Gradden, Robert Schnabel, Trevor Gillies, BJ Crumbin, Kip Brennan, Burke Henry, Shane Toporowski, Kyle Rossiter, Brad Norton, Matt Nickerson, Ryan Vandenbush, Mike Siklanka, Clark Willem, Roman Volpat, greetings to Vopi. Uh, then we had uh, uh, Terrence Sandwith, Joe Finley, Ryan Stone, Nolan Youngman, Dane Byers, Sheldon Brookbank, Luke Sellers, and Jared Ball. So that's a that's a that, that's a pretty good list, you know, for any European league, I would say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, well, what about the Vandenbush story? <laughs> so, uh, in 2006, Doc Shedden had went, had uh, changed teams. So he went from IFK to Jokerit. So he changed teams, you know, in, in Helsinki. And in the first regular season game, the IFK tough guy attacked one of Shedden's power forwards. And Doug sent me a message after the game, like, okay, uh, I need some some real muscle, so if you can send me some names and contacts, I would really appreciate it. And I think I sent him, sent him a message back the next day with the contact information for Ryan Vandenbush, Darren Langdon, and Brent Myers. I think I talked to all those guys on Facebook or something, but there was some kind of connection because, of course, I, I, I wanted to a- ask the players if they ever wanted to, you know, to come play hockey in Finland. And then Shedden signed Ryan Vandenbush. And <laughs> the media the media went a, a little crazy, I would say. And uh, then in uh, the next game between these two Helsinki teams, Ryan Vandenbush drops his gloves with this other player right from the face-off, and they have a good, clean fight that, you know, it was like 15 or 20 seconds. Like, there was nothing big, you know, nothing wrong with that fight. And the next day, the Finnish police, they started to investigate this fight as, you know, premeditated assault. And there was a media frenzy and the fucking government and all the politicians were really eager to make, you know, comments because the elections were surprisingly just around the corner. Funny how that works. Yeah. 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 So uh, I thought like, holy shit, like we need to do something here. And I asked a, a couple of my good friends who were playing in that league, like, hey, I have this crazy idea. And what do you think if if I, you know if I should do this and blah, blah, blah. And, okay, so the next day I go to the police station 
And I give them a list of all the hockey fights in the Finnish league between 1996 and 2006. And I ask them, okay, so here is a list of hockey fights with the dates and the players. You need to investigate this all. And the way it worked out was that I basically had to file in these charges. And <laughs> wow, the TV news and the government and everybody again, they really had a jolly good time, like our, our mutual friend Sam Bell from Manchester, UK, would say. Long lens, yep. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, even the Finnish president, uh, she got her word in there and the prime minister and blah, blah, blah. But uh, after like two weeks, the cops just, you know, dropped all these investigations. And it was funny at the time, uh, all these players who had fought each other, they would make these comments in the newspapers that, yeah, I'm really hoping that, you know, we can we can share the same jail cell and, you know, so... It was actually, you know, kind of like a case where you had to fight idiotism with idiotism, basically. Yep. And I guess uh, that's one of the reasons why I became such an easy target for the Finnish media, despite that, you know, my actual job in hockey was and still is so much more than just hockey fights, because hockey fights to me is just one of my hobbies. I've been a big hockey fight fan you know, for the last, I would say, 25 years. But at the same time, like, I have so many other hobbies from hiking and bushcrafting to history and, you know, astronomy and all that kind of stuff. But uh, none of those are dangerous or, you know, interesting hobbies enough. But when it comes to hockey fights, the Finnish media have no sense in what they are writing and saying. At least they didn't have that since at the time I haven't given any interviews to Finnish media for many years now. That's just my personal choice. But I really had to try to explain to them, like, uh, if you call me the high priest of hockey violence, to me, violence means an act where you hurt another person so that he or she cannot, you know, you know, put up any kind of you know resistance or defense. But a hockey fight is a willing combat between two players and that in my books is not violence it's a combat it's a sport in its own way but they i mean but like you tell me they've caused a lot of shit for you though the media and and some fans and shit yeah but then again in its own way it's deserved because i used to run this this website many many years ago that had the title you know, penalty box in Finnish where I would publish all these enforcer interviews and stuff like that. And we had this internet TV show in the pre-YouTube era where we would, you know, we would talk with the tough guys and we would show the fight videos. So in a way, it's been well-deserved. But yeah, it's it's been, if not a burden, it's been something of an annoyance at times. But then again, like I haven't been involved you know, with Finnish hockey for so many years, so maybe things have changed, but then again, like, I've been bitten by the uh, travel bug, so I think my hockey career will still, you know, carry me, you know, somewhere else than Finland, for sure. Well, like, even when you, like you said, you worked with all these, like, Italy, or, you know, when you came to 
Saskatoon or to Regina and talk to these people. Like, did any of that kind of baggage come with you? Like, did they ever say, like, no. oh, hey, I hear you were causing no. shit with the fights or anything? Like, hockey no, people I, get it, right? Yeah, and, you know, even if I go to Sweden, I'm I'm just a, you know, a hockey guy from Finland. Yeah. So, and sometimes, like, when we had, you know, some long road trips and the guys would be maybe a little curious about my past and I would, you know, I would just entertain them with all these stories and then I, I would, you know, probably you know, carry a DVD or two with me, maybe some great fights from the old Colonial League and I will tell them stories on Andy Bezo and, you know, Kevin Holiday, Chuck Mayo, Bruce Ramsey but, yeah, I don't know why in Finland it's become like such a big and bad thing and it's totally being blown out of proportion for sure no absolutely um well yeah let's just like talk like you threw some names out before i'm just gonna throw and just i'll throw some names at you and just tell me your involvement with them and how you got to know them uh sure the wrecker joel reckless all right uh i think i got to know joel back in the good old MSN Messenger Times. I think he had given an interview for that old website called the QMJHL Tough Guys. Yep. And at the time, they they had a similar they had a similar website for the OHL Tough Guys. And I just started to talk to Joel. I think he gave me an interview or two, and he knew that I was involved in the agent side of the business. And it was near. The end of his last season in the queue, he started to get really worried if he would ever have a real chance, you know, playing pro anywhere. So now I cannot remember if it was me or my colleague who actually got him his first contract in the UHL where he finished that season. But uh, I'm very proud of the career that he had and he really fought all the tough guys in all the leagues that he he played in and you know that that left bomb yep. it was it, it was one little fucking southpaw that that would connect you and he was such a nice guy and such a you know a very polite young man and i've tried to help our buddy joe to get record to be to to go and be a guest on on his show but i'm not sure if that's that's happening but uh yeah Ricker is a he's a great guy and i haven't talked to him for a few years now but he was always very good to me and he most importantly he would always remember to say thank you and that's you know that goes a long way in my book well well yes absolutely and it's funny having um yeah it, it that does it i mean that's something it's it's strange because that's something that it sounds like it would be so simple and that was yeah. that it's just sort of uh but uh yeah in dealing well even in my years with i mean not as in depth with you but helping different people out and being involved behind the scenes or whatever yeah and a lot of times you don't get the thank you and that you know and it's not about you know oh here come kiss my ass for all the help i gave you it's nothing like that mm-hmm. But like I said, yeah, some uh, a thank you and at least a little bit of recognition uh, on your on that person's part would be nice. And a lot of times it's not it's not uh, it's not given. So I completely understand when you say that. I'm right with yeah. And like like with Joel, I remember when he got that you know first professional contract offer 
from the old United Hockey League. The money was, you know, you know pretty brutal, but it, it was an opportunity for him, and he made the most of it. And then all all the contracts that he signed afterwards, I had nothing to do with that, nor did my colleague, but he really deserved everything, you know, you know what he did in his career, and I'm very happy that he, he went all the way to the NHL for a few games. Absolutely, no, right, and he, you know, he played in the American Law, you know, oh, he had a great career. Yeah, and anybody, if you haven't uh, had the opportunity, uh, or, or, or you haven't done it, and I don't know why people listening have not, but go to YouTube and just type in Joel Reckless. There's a video on there. It's about 14 minutes, and it's just like a compilation. Yeah, go watch that. You'll be highly, highly entertained. He was, and also his brother Mark Reckless. He was cut from the same mold, and I also tried to help him a little bit with his career. And I can remember this one story. It's a very vague memory, but. Uh, Mark Reklich had already retired from hockey. And then it was like a month or two after that I sent him a message that, hey, uh, I have a friend who's coaching there and he needs a tough guy. And if you were interested, the job is yours. But he said, thank you, but no thank you. I'm, I'm very satisfied with my, you know, my retirement. And But again, like he was just like his brother he would show his gratitude and why it means so much to me is that well because like uh i can help a lot of people and a lot of people help me but if you don't have <laughs> have the manners and the understanding of saying thank you uh, after you have basically maybe sometimes begged for help for immediate help with your career then i would say you can just go fuck yourself <laughs> Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, some of the other name, uh, Steve Mackway. Steve Mackway, Big Mac. Ah, wow! I love that guy. I signed him to play for my team in two thousand eight. Uh, he had been a dominant force in the Central League. I think uh, the year before I signed him, uh, when he was playing for Mississippi, he had like. 60 games, 40 points, and 150 pins. He was 6'6", 235 or something like that. But unfortunately, unfortunately, things didn't work out. The, the coaching staff wasn't too happy with Mac, and also knowing that they had the opportunity to bring back their own favorite player from the year before, things happened. But I, uh, I think Steve Mackway wasn't too disappointed leaving Finland because the the city where we played at the time, it was uh, it, it was in the eastern part of the country. It was like a concrete jungle that town, and you know, a guy coming in from Mississippi that was a big change in many ways. And later on that year, after he departed from Finland, he actually finished the year in your favorite city, Las Vegas. So I, I don't think he has too many regrets. And the last I heard, uh, Mac is selling solar panels in Alberta or Saskatchewan. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you also re- remember him from from the dot and from the SJ. Yep. Yeah, no, when I saw his saw his name came up, I was um, uh, it was familiar. Um, did you have any uh, interaction with La- Sasha Lakovic? Yeah, that was wow, many, many years ago. 
uh, he was between, I think, between the LNH and senior hockey with the Horse Lake Thunder team that the fight fans remember so well. With uh, I think they had Shasha, Dodi Wood, and didn't they also have Gino Logic there and Greg Lakovic, if I'm not wrong. And Steve, and but, Steve Parsons. Yeah. Steve Parsons, yeah. I also used to talk to Steve, thanks to Jonathan Kaminsky. Yeah, I am. John yeah, John John was actually always very good to me. He sent me a bunch of DVDs, never asked for a dime. I hope I had the decency to send him some maybe signed stuff from Sammy Hellenius, but I can't remember. But yeah, uh, Sasha, uh, he wanted really to make one last go in pro hockey. So he had his friend in Vancouver at the time, uh, Dino something. I can't remember his last name. But we talked about some European opportunities there. But unfortunately, the Pitbull's reputation was a bit too much <laughs> to, to all the European teams at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, well, and then, of course, you, know, you, you mentioned his name before, and he's, a, he's been a guest on this show. Um, and you have an interesting story involving uh, being involved with him. Matt Nickerson. <laughs> Wow, Big Matt. <laughs> uh, wow, okay. So, first of all, Matt, when he first came across the pond, the way he played and the uh, character that he had in that city where he played, in Pori, he became an instant, you know, you know, I would say a cult hero and a legend, almost like a god, I would say. And uh, he was about as entertaining as any player that I've ever seen, in good and in bad. And then uh, he had actually a, he had a he had a pretty successful year here in Finland. I think he was only twenty years old, or you know, twenty one. Then he goes back to the states for one year, and he splits his time there between the AHL and the, and the ECHL. And then uh, I think. Matt even talked about this in his podcast that basically Dallas, you know, gave him the approval that, you know, he could, you know, just terminate his, I don't know if it was like a two or three way contract with stars and go back to Europe and, you know, make more money that way. But the problem was that uh, (laughs) at the time his, his former team in Finland, they didn't exactly have any, any, uh, extra money lying around and Matt really wanted to play in that city and you know he was meant to play for that team in that city I I would say that so uh, we talk about this little issue or or, uh, a dilemma and at the time I was hosting (laughs) this one sports, sports channel TV show where the people were able to send the old school SMS messages and we could display them on the screen and if I had a guest then you know the guest was able to answer the questions and stuff so I made a little plan and Matt gave me his approval I basically told a flat out lie in live TV that there were tons of Finnish teams after Matt Nickerson's signature on the contract paper and one of the strongest candidates was the rival team of this Boric, you know, team. 
And I think, you know, things happened pretty fast. In one or two days, the team had raised enough money to sign Nickerson back to Finland and back to the team where he belonged. Because a lot of the local sponsors, they would flock the the team office with their phone calls and just basically offer them free sponsorship money. So that's how big of a, you know, hero Matt Nickerson was with this club. And it was actually pretty funny to play media that way. It wasn't, you know, something that we or I planned out of being evil or bad, but I wanted to help my friend. And I'm thankful that he uh, <laughs> gave me his approval. Well, there you are. Hey, media, you got to manipulate them for once. You got to spin it around and get them chasing and the power of the people. There you go. Got Matt back yeah, on the team. It, especially now, if any uh, Finnish hockey fans will listen to this podcast, they will probably be pretty shocked because only a few years before, sometimes when I was really bored, I would go to this one message board and I would actually just, you know, annoy the fans of this team where Matt played, you know, just because they were so passionate about their club. So I would, you know, find ways to just piss them off and just basically being an ass. And uh, <laughs> I'm not sorry about it, but it's just funny, you know, to think that once I was a fucking keyboard warrior and now I can't stand them. And that's why I'm not even on social media, basically. <laughs> I guess, well, I past guest John Searson, he still does that on the UK message boards. Oh, he, John, you, you need to, you know, stop drinking that hard tea, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I gotta. Well, I always, I always do, but I gotta thank him again because he's always, uh, he's always out promoting my show over on the UK message boards. I, I think it's probably met with a lot of uh, criticism, but I think I've gotten a few listeners from it anyway. But uh, yeah, they're passionate well, fans over in the UK. I'm very happy you you uh, used the word promote because do I ever have a promotion speech here for you about coolhockey.com? Oh, hey, there you go. What a segue. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, coolhockey.com, the proud sponsor of the Hockey Podcast Network and Darren, the Portline Voice. And we've already mentioned our buddy Joe Lucido from Long Island, New York. And we all know that Joe is a great guy and a passionate New York Islanders fan. And he's such an old school guy old school guy that he sent me a fax last night. He was all hyped up because he had just went on coolhockey.com and he used the discount code THPN on the checkout to buy himself very rare Islanders jersey from 0-9-10 season. The one game wonder, Anton Klementiev from Russia. One game, zero points, zero pims, plus minus zero, but Joe was all hyped up. Like, he would follow and go see this guy play in Bridgeport. All those 99 games where he had three goals and 10 assists, 50 penalty minutes and minus 13. And just because Joe is such a passionate Islanders fan, I wanted to show my appreciation to Joe. So after this podcast interview is done, I will go online to coolhockey.com and use my promo code THPN to buy myself two New York Islanders jerseys. One, 
with the number 21 on the back and the other with number 25. So I'm going to have a blue jersey and a white jersey. The white jersey will be number 21 Lozito in honor of Marius Czerkowski's number. And the blue jersey will also read Lozito with number 25 because Marius Czerkowski also used number 25 when he played for the Islanders. And it's damn cool. You get this discount and it's only 180 uh, Canadian dollars with free shipping. Can you believe it? I can't. I really can't. Yeah. 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 I know. Well, and like I said, this that I think that promo code. I, I can't even imagine the amount of money Joe has saved over these last. It's incredible. Oh, over this last year, yeah. And I mean, yeah. anybody out in Long Island, yeah, you see, uh, you see a cat walking around with an Islanders jersey with one of those, like I said, the B side, the deep cuts. Yeah, that's Joe. And you know, w- when I receive those jerseys, and I'm going to wear my. My Lucido Cherkovsky Islanders jersey, and I go walk outside or I go to the grocery store. I'll feel like a big guy, a big man. Like I'll feel very manly. Oh, I mean, and they'll, they'll. I mean, and I can guarantee the people at the grocery store, they'll know who Lucido is. They'll say, "I've heard that podcast, (laughs) the Coliseum Chronicles." Do you know him? Yeah. Can how do I get in touch with them? Oh yeah. Yeah. Joe is ratings gold. So there you go, Joe. I hope you cracked a laugh there. <laughs> there. There you go. Yeah, you you actually really hit me with that there, that ad read. I didn't even know that was coming. There you go. Uh, excellent. Well, now I don't have to. I don't have to edit that in later. You're making this really easy. Yeah, yeah. But, and also at the same time, now that we're reading ads, or I'm reading ads, even though I'm the guest. You can explain about Ken Staniford in your intro, but I'm going to talk about Trevor Doyle. Just a little bit, because Trevor Doyle is a good man. He was a great hockey hockey player. I'm very happy to to be friends with him, and I was happy enough and lucky enough to go and see him play live in uh, in 2000 when he was playing for the Syracuse Crunch. The first game I saw live there, uh, he fought Eric Bertrand and Stone Cold Steve McLaren. And why I want to mention Trevor Doyle, if you live in the eastern part of Ontario... And if you want to make your wife really happy, go to doylehomes.ca and Doyle and his company will build you the house of your dreams. Well, there you go. He's a, he's, yeah. He's into it. Well, hey, there's a guy. You gotta, I got to use you. I'm going to use your connection. Can I name drop you? We got. I got to okay. get him on the show. Would he come on the show, you think? You can always ask. Yeah. You can always ask. Because I have, uh, you know, out of all these enforcers, I have a couple favorites over anybody else. And I would say these players are Trevor Doyle, Serge Robers, and Jacques Mayot. And uh, I'm searching for certain videos on Doyle that I know that are out there. And maybe later on I can... I can send you a list of these fights that I'm still looking for, and you can also put it up on your Twitter account. Yep. But I know there's seven or eight fights from Doyle that I, I still need to add to my collection. And the same thing I could say for this LNH tough guy, David Lacroix. Uh, I made his DVD set, and it's now four volumes strong, but I'm still missing 
quite a few of his fights from the first five or six years of his career, and I know that at least half of those fights have been recorded somewhere, but it's such a dying hobby, it's so hard to find people who have, you know, this footage at this point. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting, you throw out Serge Roberge. Yeah. What, uh... Yeah. Well, he's just like, I think I... I told Joe and I told many other people that in my eyes, Serge Roberts is he's the master, he's the sensei of them all. Like he could beat you every way he wanted. And he wasn't the biggest guy, probably wasn't the strongest guy, but he was so versatile, so tough and so smart. And I really loved that uh, Stevens, uh, Stevens, uh, a killer campaign article he wrote on Serge's 94-95 season in the AHL but that was such a dominant season but like Serge wow, he's a a master that's all I can say he is, I agree no, without a doubt and uh, yeah, you know and his brother wasn't too bad either (laughs) yeah, actually, hey, no uh, I'm sure you've also noticed in the Enforcer group there's a gentleman called, I hope I can get this pronunciation at least partly correct, uh, Aguilai Messier. He has now been putting up these old fights from the Newfoundland Senior League. And I hope Mr. Messier is listening to, to this podcast. I have no way to contact you, but you have some footage that I would love to have on DVD, and I can send you something you know, great in return. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to connect with you, you know, Mr. Mercier. Well, I'll try to see if I can make that happen. I'll get a, we'll get Alec involved. We'll we'll straighten all this out. We'll get this. Yeah, the old Maritime League. That was some crazy shit over there. Oh, definitely. And like, and like to consider how tough that league was at the time. But still, like even in in the last ten years, like I think the uh, senior league from that region. They were producing some pretty tough guys, like I explained to you in one of my many, many emails about this guy called Ryan Murphy. Yep. He, yeah, he was just, you know, fighting down in the senior league there, and then his coach knew some people in the LNH, and he's played a bunch of games there and had a lot of great fights and, like, a lot of even fights against guys like the Animal Therio and all, all the meatheads there. And basically, like Ryan told him, one of his interviews that when he went to the LNH, he had no tactics because he he didn't even know basically how to fight. He he you know just been fighting in that senior league and maybe in the bars a bit, and then uh, after one game or something like that, the coach asked him that. So Ryan, when you go for the first first grab, where do you wanna you know take a hold on the jersey? And he didn't even have an answer. He would just say, well, I'll, I'll just grab some, somewhere and, you know, st- you know, start throwing punches. So he was like such a natural fighter. And I made a DVD on this guy. And it's a damn toe-to-toe TKO KO slugfest. It's incredible. Well, I'll t- and it's funny you mentioned the the senior league there in the Maritimes. I it's actually just yesterday. I somebody had posted a video. And it was just a short. It was about five or six minute uh, compilation of Nick Foran. Or Foran. Yeah, it, 
Yeah, yeah, it's the same guy, Mr. Mercier. Yeah. Well, I I watched that, and it's like, and I and I remember him from the Quebec League, um, and I know he's on Twitter, and I, I he said he's listened to this show. I hope he listens. If he's listening to this now, get a hold of me. Answer your Twitter direct messages. I know you're. Not, he's not on Twitter very often. I want to get him on the show. Uh, oh, yeah, because we yeah, talked privately a couple times on Twitter, and he has a funny brashier story that I want him to tell. And there's also a guy, I think he lives in Edmonston, New Brunswick, who's writing a book on the old Republican League. So really, all, oh, that yeah. would be that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I would highly encourage that all the. All the fans of the old school hockey of the you know eighties nineties senior hockey, you go online, Google, and you search for Re- Republican Hockey League book or something like that. But I found these articles few months ago, and I can't wait, you know, for this book because you know there were so many great players in that league, and you know like Jacques Mayotte and all these guys. So, wow. Well, Doug Smith. Yeah, Dougie. Well, you know Doug. Dougie. A little bit, yeah. We haven't talked in quite a few years, but uh, when he and Adam first published their book, uh, I was a fanboy, so I I wanted you know to do something to help these two gentlemen who had been actually very good to me. I remember Adam Fratasio sending me a bunch of hockey fight tapes across the pond, free of charge. And even one one time, he sent me a, this nice signed photo, 8 by 10 uh, from a fight between Dennis Bonvey and Doc Smith. And that was about the nicest gift I've ever received. And it's the photo is actually even now framed on my wall. But yeah, I, uh, I, I made a website for those two, uh, two gentlemen and I haven't talked to doc in many years, but I'm really happy for him and for Adam that how big and how recognized his story has now become, you know, I'm not maybe the biggest fan of those movies, but I'm really, really thrilled to see all those NHL tough guys and Mel Engelstad and boys, you know, getting a chance to be involved in a Hollywood movie. No, absolutely. And Adam, like you said, the author of Doug's book, Goon, um, he's such a nice guy. Uh, I can remember back in the old message board when Adam first kind of had the idea to write the book, he and I spent a lot of time talking through email and he was telling me the ideas for the book and the stories that were going to go in it. And, uh, and then to see it, uh, and this, you know, and then a couple of years later to see it come out and do so well. Yeah, I was really happy for the guys. And like you said, Adam was a nice guy, and we used to send tapes back and forth. And it's funny you mentioned that picture. I have the exact same autographed picture. I bet you it says he was he was uh, all show and no go. Your friend D- Doug Smith. That's what mine says. Yeah, because uh, but yeah, no, those they're uh, yeah, Adam's a good dude. Yeah, I think it was only like two weeks ago I sent you tons of old stuff from my archives, and I think I actually sent you that old message thread from that old Drop the Gloves Enforcer forum where Doc Smith makes his first appearance as a message board writer. And uh, this morning, I had the pleasure of listening to your episode with Alec from Fight for Fighting podcast. And Alec, 
you made me feel like an old fart. You you were talking about the old Drop the Gloves website. Yep. Like like it was a holy grail and that you had stumbled upon something new and great. Oh, my God, I felt so old at that moment. But really, uh, a lot of those you know topics and threats there uh i have saved on my hard drive and like uh i have sent you that stuff and i can send this stuff to alec or to anyone who's just interested in learning the stories behind the, these enforcers and the fights because i think uh if you just go online and start watching random fights it became it becomes kind of boring after a while but when you understand the context and you know the stories behind the fighters or the fights yeah all that stuff just gains so much more substance you know when you are more aware of what was going on all right we're back here a little i had to take a little break i said i, I took the breaks i made you wait so long now i forgot what we were talking about we we're bouncing around so much but uh we we did kind of mention uh you know uh of course, I got to, I'm doing air quotes, know you. Um, we talked uh, from the old message board days, like you were talking with Alec, talking yeah. about the, the drop the gloves board and the fried chicken and everything. Yeah. Um, the old message board days, and of course, the tape trading. And you had mentioned yeah. Adam sending you tapes and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure, I'm, I think we probably did some tape trading, I think. Um, Might be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For for the younger folks out there, I mean, they've heard me rant and rave about VHS tapes and everything, but I could, and what a pain in the ass it was. <laughs> what was it like to go through in Finland to try to get this stuff? Wow. Okay. So I would say that uh, the first hockey fight tapes uh, from North America I received in 95 or 96. And in order for me... To get those tapes first, I would have to find a way to connect with people. And thank God for the hockey news and their ads section. <laughs> yeah. If if the <laughs> younger folk don't remember or know, there used to be hockey fights available in the hockey news ad section. So that was one source for me to go to. And then later on, you know, you mentioned this enforcer forums and fried chickens and all these places so i got to know some good people sometimes they will just send me tapes and later on when i was able to uh add more to my collection i i would send them something back and you know there's so many names that i you know probably forgotten but i definitely have to bring up joe lucido's name here again uh he sent me a bunch of tapes and when we were working on on the on sammy helen's book joe went so far and beyond you know anything that me or sammy could have imagined poor joe probably spent like an like i don't know 100 hours making a compilation on Sammy's fights from the AHL, IHL, and the NHL. And he sent us those tapes free of charge. And later on, guys like Ross Perovsky and John Kaminsky and Rob Way, all these people, they would send me the tapes. But sometimes I would have to pay for the tapes. And that's when it became really interesting. There was no internet banking at the time, no PayPal. So I would go to my local bank office and i will have to send an international money transfer and let's say that i will 
I will uh, buy five hockey fight tapes, $25 each. And I would have to pay for the shipping. Uh, that was between, I don't know, 50 to $60 at the time. So let's say that the total amount of money I would have to spend on getting these five tapes was uh, $160. But of course, the bank, they, they, they wanted a cut. So no matter if I wanted to send $1 or $1,000, I would have to pay in U.S. dollars approximately, I would say, 75 to $80 fee for sending this money order. Oh. Or, yeah. Okay. And then it will take anything between one to three months to get delivered. And of course, you know, uh, international shipping at that time, there was no tracking codes or anything. Yeah. So I, I always opted for the slowest and cheapest possible option, which was still pretty expensive. So I would say that from the moment I sent the money order to the moment when I received the tapes, it it was anything between five to eight months. But, you know, with this modern age, you can just go on YouTube and find all the music videos you want, all the hockey fights you want, all the boxing matches you want. There's no sense of discovery anymore. Like, I, I can never forget the first time when I actually saw Link Gates' fight yep. on my TV screen. Yep. It was it was very blurry quality, shitty quality, like a fucking 15th generation copy of the original VHS tape. But when I saw that Link Gates versus Joey Coaster round one for the first time, wow. It was just like an unbelievable moment. Like, holy shit, that's actually Link Gates. And he's a legend. And I've only heard stories about him. And now it's funny to think that say that this happened in 95 or 96. Link was only like three years removed of his NHL career. And he was already this missing Link legend. <laughs> no and like yeah oh i know it, it's it's funny you talk about that because it was the same way here i had the same thing right um you know i've i've often said that on here with the 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 new generate they don't everything's so easy now you, you can yeah. look at any guy at any time and everything's on youtube and whatever but they don't understand the um what went into putting that clip on youtube yeah, and like, for example, hey, young folks, if I wanted to see a female body <laughs> when I was a, like a teenager, I would have to play street poker game on my Commodore 64 in order to see maybe Samantha Fox's tits. <laughs> so you actually had to make an effort to see a female, not unlike these days. You can just go online and boom, boom, boom. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, yeah, we had to hope somebody's older brother had a Playboy somewhere and you could steal it. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, there was exactly. No, everything. And I think that's the thing, right? Even just with the society, it's uh, instant gratification. And it's, uh, I think um, people just don't understand the 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 work that went into the getting that footage. I mean, I'm not saying, oh, how hard it is to upload something to you. That's not what I'm talking about. That's easy to upload shit to YouTube. No, it's the actual footage that you're uploading to YouTube. The work that went into getting that footage yeah. is unbelievable that people don't understand. Like, you had to either know a player or a team or someone had to sneak a camera in. And I was talking about wow. Dave there. 
you know, history of hockey fights talking about when they had to sneak the camcorder into Traverse City to record <laughs> all those fights, or the guys in Philly, they used to sneak the camera in at the Phantoms games and record all that, that stuff. That was from like, the upper, the upper like deck. for those, I would say for those, what, four, five, six years, I would always wait for the moment when I knew that there would be this footage available from the uh, you, this uh, Traverse City tournament because yeah. I would see all, all these guys there from Bullgard to Sheffield Meyer to David Kasavka. You know, it was something to look forward to for sure. Oh yeah, and it was like yeah, and like you said, when you got that tape, when you made that for, like I said, when I first got onto the fried chicken. Does anybody know why it was called fried chicken? I'm not sure why. I've was, never heard the story. No. no, I don't know what it is. I, I, I I'm out there, and people listening. I know I got a bunch of old fried chicken members that are listed that listen to this show. Can someone get a hold of me and tell me why it was called fried chicken? <laughs> I've had a bunch of people like they don't like the younger people. They don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Fried chicken, because of course it's gone now too. So like, what? What are you talking about? Fried chicken? Like what? Popeyes, KFC? What are you talking about? I'm like, no. The fight site was called the Fried Chicken. I think it was, was it Fried Chicken Fight? I don't even know. If it was just called Fried Chicken. Anyway, yes, yeah. fight forum. Yeah, yeah. So it was about hockey fights again. I don't know why the name, but yeah, when I first got on there in like whatever '99 or whenever it came, it was, I was one of the original members. I know that. I couldn't yeah. believe that there was other people out there that had hockey fights. And here I yeah. had a couple tapes that I had bought from the Hockey News, like you said, or actually our local video store had them. I remember recording a couple. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, they had like these, just these mixed NHL tapes that, oh, yeah. I'd, I'd rent on the weekend. I must have rented the thing a hundred times, you know, and uh, it was mid-80s fights. That's where I saw Churlo and McGuire for the first time. But it was... Uh, so I had about five or six tapes, and I just thought I was the I was the king of the fight world. And then all of a sudden, I got on fried chicken, and you know, you got Nick Vavonia and all these guys. They have hundreds of tapes, and it's like, oh my god, like you know. Yep. So yeah, you trade with these guys, and oh, it was like Christmas when it would show up in your mailbox. And I couldn't imagine for you, you spend all that money, and you got to wait eight months. Yeah, you you literally had it would literally be Christmas when those six tapes showed up. And like you, uh, you mentioned about you know the the modern age age uh, instant gratification. Like that's something. Now I have to talk serious hockey for a moment. But like you know, it's been such an obvious change in these modern athletes. You know, compared to the thirty year olds or the twenty five year olds, uh, for example. Uh, one of the biggest tasks for me personally, I would say, in the last six years especially uh, those four years involved with the with the young Italian players and the national team, uh, I really have to be there to support and guide them in a, I would say, non-manipulative way because they are, their heads are already, you know, so to speak, in the NHL when in fact their physique, their mental level, their, their technical skills, they are still like somewhere far, far beyond. And uh, sometimes it's so frustrating when you are dealing with these youngsters who are used to getting everything, you know, if they just snap their fingers. But they have lost the concept that in team sports or individual sports, you need to put in the work first before you get the rewards. And that's something that no matter what my title has been, I've had, you know, the human interaction, the importance of that, it, it's grown so much more. But sometimes it's very hard 
for me basically to listen to somebody whine over things that I would have never whined about because like when I played hockey as a little boy in Helsinki, they had basically already at that time between the age of six to ten, uh, the 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 first level teams, so to speak, were IFK and Joker. Then there was Group B, and then there was Group C, where I would always belong. And even if in school we would have the sports class or the at- athletics class, if I knew that I would have to play against those guys who played in Group A or that first group, I would be, you know, overmatched so so bad. But again, I learned about the meaning of competition right from the start. And I will, you know, it's so hard for me to listen to these young players whine, whine, whine all the time and blah, blah, how good they are and and that the coaches are fucking idiots and blah, blah, blah. They're like spoiled little brats sometimes. But hey, the society is changing and, uh, you know, I'm slowly but surely becoming becoming a dinosaur, you know, even though, even though I, uh, I, I try to fight it. But, like when you talk to Roman Volpat, some of the things what he said about the Western League and the KI, wow, he it it was like he was reading my mind, and I got to know Volpat when he played in Finland, and he uh, he's a man that I look up to, and I know that he and Shane Toporovsky, they both have this great experience, you know, playing pro and junior. Uh, you know, between Europe and Europe and North America, and when I have listened to these gentlemen talk about hockey, wow, they are so smart because they have seen the best of both worlds in in uh, in a very crucial time of uh, in the evolution of hockey. I would say, yeah, no, absolutely, and like you said, uh, um, a friend of mine he still coaches and runs a team in in junior A. And, uh, and he, like I said, he, you know, he's same age, well, he's a little older than I am, but he played in the 80s in junior. He played pro in the East Coast League and coached in the Quebec League and the LNAH and coached, uh, you know, he's coached all over junior and junior hockey yeah. and junior A. And, uh, yeah, just talking to him about the differences from 15 years ago to now, um, with the players' attitudes, like he said, um, and again, we're, I'm not, paint brushing oh they're all like this because no they're not all like that no 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 but he was just like but yeah the level of uh entitlement is pretty uh unbelievable and uh you know and with the parents getting involved and oh everyone's everyone's the next uh you know joe sackick and you know and i mean parents have always you know the parents have always been like that uh you know their their kids the best and everything else but i mean uh I, I think it was, it, it's just more of the, I, like he goes, it's just the the parents' involvement now in the, at the junior level. Like before it was always sort of like, you know, and whether it be good for bad, I mean, there were some bad incidents as well, but like you're sort of like the coach is in charge. Yeah. What, what he tells you to do, that's what you're going to do. And this is the team and, and that sort of thing. Well, now, I mean, they interfere so much, and no, don't listen to him, and the agents get involved, their advisors and everything, and it's, um, yeah, it's a it's a completely different uh, landscape these days. For sure, and like, I've seen these cases myself where, you know, the player who's surrounded by all these advisors and agents, and of course his parents, he is the one who doesn't have a say. Yes. And 
I'm very, very, very much afraid what that will do to um, to a young man's, you know, a development as a human being. And I have to tell you now one great story about the parents getting involved. Uh, I was, uh, I had already been working for this Italian program for some time. I'm not going to name any names, but there was an interesting phone call one year that I received. It was from this one player's father. And I cannot, unfortunately, I cannot do any kind of imitation of his very groovy English that he spoke with a very thick Italian accent. But it just, you know, tells you that our cultures might be a little different because you have to understand that hockey is a very, very minuscule sport in Italy. Unlike in Finland, like Finland is the only European country where hockey is the number one sport. So we probably have different kind of set, set of e- ethics and moral. And this father gives me a phone call. Hey, uh, let's talk business now. I'm like, okay, what do you have in mind? Okay, listen to the father now, he said. How much money you need in order to get my son to play in this league in Finland? Do you need 1,000, 2,000, or 5,000 or more? I didn't know what the hell I should answer to this maniac. And I said, uh, sir, that is not the way it works in Finland. You cannot buy your son a roster spot. And then, no, 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 you have to listen to me. You know, everything has its price. And I'm like, you know, thinking like, holy hell, is this like a fucking prank call or a candid camera or something but no he was very serious and when i turned him down it it wasn't a good moment and i i can you know tell you this much and all my friends in italy they will get a kick out of it because they know the people involved but the father also at you know, at one point, he organized his son's transfer from an Italian team to another league. And he didn't do it in a very professional manner. And this Italian team, they actually released a statement on their website that this player and his family are never again welcomed to our city. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, and I mean, ultimately, I mean, you, you feel bad for the kid. Well, oftentimes, yeah, but I can only tell you that the, this young man in, in question, he really thought he was something else, but he was brought up in a way that he will put himself above everybody else. And I know that he was a distraction in the locker room, you know, just to put it mildly. Yeah. And, well, there's all, all kinds of characters. And even, you know, the people who uh, who listen to your sh- show in Sudbury or, or close to Sudbury, they can remember the days not, not too long ago when there was an interesting situation with the ownership and one of the players. I was living in Sudbury at the time and... It was just so wrong when people get too involved in, in you know, trying to pave the way for their kids. It's uh, it's not very healthy. No, it's not. And like you said, it, uh, yeah, and it, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I get it's always been there, but I think there's a lot more, seems to be a lot more meddling now. 
And at the same time, and it's always been this way, hockey's a dirty business too. And the way some of these junior teams and pro team conduct themselves is a little unsavory as well. And I've heard stories and uh, about you know just little things like oh, what they, they promise this and promise that, and then yeah, you know, and it's all bullshit or the or I mean, we won't even get into the L and H and money and all that. That's <laughs> that's a whole other yeah. But I do want to talk to you about. Uh, of course, everybody is familiar. Well, I, I always say everyone. I, if most of the people, I'm sure people listening to this podcast are familiar. Um, at, back in 2005, there was a fight tournament in Prince George, and it was called yeah. the Hockey Enforcers Tournament, Black and Blue Tournament, whatever you want to call. It. It's on my YouTube channel if anybody wants to look this up. And the, and it was basically uh, ten guys. I think it was ten guys. I believe ten or twelve guys, and they they were going to have it here and have it there, and it kept getting banned and outlawed. And they finally had it in Prince George, and Dean Mayrad won it. And uh, but they wore like UFC type gloves, and, and but it was individual fights for a minute, and then it was judged and blah blah blah. It, it was all of our fight growing up as fight fans. We always used to say, "Oh man, I wish they would do a tournament." That would be great. Yeah. Of course, in our tournament, it was Probert versus, you know, Mel Engelstad and stuff like that, right? But this actually came to fruition in Prince George in 2005. Mm-hmm. And what people don't, some people might not know, is in 2010, it happened in Finland again. And it was called the Ice Warriors. And you were a big part of that. Let, uh, let, I know this is going to be a long story, but I'm looking forward to this. Uh, how did this all start? And start let, start at the beginning. Tell us the story of the 2010 Ice Warriors. Uh, I will actually go back to the, to that 2005 tournament. Uh, I, I sent in my a- application very early on, and there's still news articles on the Internet about my possible participation in the tournament. But... Uh, Eventually, they uh, they told me that uh, <laughs> I would not be, you know, participating in the tournament. And we have, you know, probably, or many of us who are in the hockey fights, you have also seen that little documentary of that hockey enforcers tournament. And some people might remember that there were a lot of former tough guys from the NHL and the American League who maybe got a little, you know, maybe, how would I say, treated pretty bad by the organizers there. Yeah. But, yeah, so uh, in 2010, Ice Warriors, uh, I think initially we had had this talk the year before. But uh, then uh, there was a group of promoters who were, you know, they were making all kinds of events and stuff, and they got a hold of me and asked if, if I could work for them and get all the fighters in. And I was like, sure, of course, that's no problem. And uh, we started setting things up. And originally, we're, we, we were planning on having, I think, 16 fighters, but we ended up having only eight. But uh, we had Derek Parker, Curtis Swanson, Mark Black, Tristan Manson, Jason Bone, and, oh my God, it's embarrassing. Uh, Sean McMorrow, the sheriff. Sean, 
I'll have to make this story short. But in order for Sean to be able to enter our tournament, we had to get very creative. Now, I was already working in Finnish professional hockey, so I was not an agent, but I knew a lot of people. And my friend got the gig in the UK, working as the player coach of the expansion team Dundee Stars. And he asked me to find him the most marketable player for for this expansion team. And I told him, well, Sean McMorrow, because the year before, he was a dominant force in that league. So we were able to land the contract for Sean in Dundee with one condition listed on his contract that he will be able to come and enter our tournament while the regular season games were already being played. So that was a very interesting arrangement. And now I want to take this little moment also uh, to talk about Dean Mayrand. I, Dean, I hope you are listening to this show and this podcast. So you gave an interview to Alec and you sounded very disappointed that you were never invited to our tournament. But I swear to you, Dean, I tried many different ways to try and contact you, maybe even maybe I sent you a message on Facebook and, well, maybe you didn't see my friend request or you thought that I was some kind of a jerk from Finland, which, you know, probably was true. But uh, I really tried hard to get you involved because I thought like there will be no better way to market this tournament than to bringing in the reigning champion from the other tournament and knowing that he had quite a fight with Derek Parker with some interesting consequences afterwards and also that final fight against Croy. Yep. So, well, of course, what happens when you try to organize such an event, uh, Initially, we were going to also have guys like Justin Schmidt and David Segal, but the, they both declined at the last minute. I think they both had medical reasons, so then I had to, you know, start working on getting substitutes there. And I, I will always be grateful to Mark Black. Blackie saved my ass. I contacted him on Tuesday evening, my time. He was living, I think, close to Edmonton at the time. And the time difference was nine hours. I sent him a message on Tuesday evening. Mark, can you be here on Thursday and fight on Saturday? And he just cleared the thing up with his wife. And he said, all right, I'll be there. And basically, he spent, I think, a total of, I don't know, 40 hours of traveling in order to fight those two or three minutes. But he really, he did a great favor there for me. And also, uh, uh, Tristan Manson was traveling out from Halifax, Nova Scotia. But his flights, they got delayed and delayed because of, I think it was either some intense storm or fog or smoke in the area. So... No planes were leaving from Halifax, and thank God he made it here. And I'll, I'll have to tell you, Darren, you need to talk to to uh, Tristan Manson. He has great stories from the queue and from the senior league where he fought Darren Landon. And Ice Warriors, well, one of a kind thing. And at the time, I was scouting for IFK, the team 
that I grew up, you know, idolizing. So for me, that was a big thing. And already at that point, while fighting being so controversial in Finland and stuff, I had to ask the GM, like, that if it's okay for the team that my name comes out, you know, that I'm involved with this tournament or not. But IFK, you know, being proud, you know, you know, playing in a very Canadian way, thanks to the fact that in 1968, the NHL All-Star defenseman Carl Brewer came here to play. He returned back to amateur hockey. And later on, he actually went back to the NHL. But Carl Brewer gave this team a new identity, basically, like, I would say, the Broad Street Bullies of Finland, you know, for two or three decades. But they, you know, this team started to play in a very physical way. And, you know, that has to be also a factor in my, you know, interest in hockey fights and stuff, because my favorite team liked to play the rough hockey, while the other team from Helsinki, they played finesse hockey. Granted, when I was growing up, they won all the championships, but I think my team just won all the fights, basically. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of guys that uh, I asked to come and, you know, fight in Ice Warriors. And I had help from guys like Ross Porowski and David Singer and John Kaminsky and, you know, probably many others. But I talked to Ryan James Hand, Jason Goulet, Sasha Lakovic, uh, Mel actually also, Robert Snowball, Brent Henley, Ashley Langdon, Danik Lassard, and I think a few more guys like Neil Posilico, and maybe maybe I talked to that uh, small tough guy from the SPHL. What's his name now? Chris Affinati, maybe. Yeah. I think. So, but it was a. Uh, but what, like, great... like, what was the what, like? What was the holdup? Like, or like, what was the like? Why weren't the guys going to do it? Why couldn't they do it? Those guys, like, uh, did they just they just weren't interested, or? Uh, well, probably because when Derek Parker won the tournament, he got the the prize money. I think it was five thousand five hundred Canadian dollars or American dollars. And to compare that with that nice little paycheck from the hockey enforcers, you know, it was uh, it it wasn't an attractive amount of money. And it wasn't probably the easiest, you know, thing in Finland to get sponsors to, you know, <laughs> be involved in this kind of tournament. But uh uh, we wanted to have some Finnish flavor. So I brought in one of my friends from uh, Norway, a Finnish defenseman, who at one point played four preseason games in Feywil in the old SPHL uh, while racking up 12 fights. And I think in the regular season, in two games, he had three or four fights. And then because uh, one local Finnish tough guy he broke his hand just like week before the tournament, who was going to be our main attraction at the gates, basically because everybody knew him. Uh, we had to go and uh, set up this qualification round between two, I would say, senior league hockey players from Finland. And that's the guy who actually, unfortunately, <laughs> got 
into his fight against Curtis Swanson and Swanee tooled him in like, I don't know, 15 or 20 seconds. So because this guy had, had like maybe, I don't know, five fights in his career. And Swanee had, had I don't know, 300. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how was your, uh, well, he's been on the show and stuff. How was your interactions with Swanee? Uh, awesome. The cowboy. And actually, uh, I reached out to Swanee after after listening to his podcast with Alec and and uh, I sent him some photos from the tournament like actual photos you know using snail mail and some stickers from the tournament that I that I produced for Swanee and it's just amazing like he's uh, such a great and laid back guy but when he was an active player or a fighter you know that spirit and that character that he brought with him it, it's incredible and i'm very very happy to know that swanee has been doing really well with his with his business yeah i know he's doing he, uh, you know i mean a little uh yeah he's doing great and uh no a nice guy and all the i mean yeah. i i you talk to anybody that i've never heard anybody say anything bad about swanson i don't think you can say anything bad about curtis swanson he's the nicest no. guy and uh you know I mean, I, and, uh, you know, and it was funny, like I said, uh, you know, my friend Kurt there that, you know, got, basically got Swanee playing and, you know, from junior and coached him in Laval. And I mean, to see, to see Swanee's progress, um, you know, as he went on in his career was, was great. And like I said, nice guy. And, uh, and it's great that he's life after hockey has been very well, he's done very well for himself. And, uh, I can remember Kurt even telling me when he was 18 in Slave Lake, uh, well, all the other guys were, you know, sleeping in and playing Nintendo or whatever. Swanee was working, and he would help out, and he'd he'd drive the two hours up to camp and drop supplies off for one of the sponsors. And he said he always had that work ethic. And then, you know, and now you hear how successful he has in his own business. It's no surprise. So, yeah, you know, now so maybe uh, someday when I return to Canada, maybe Swanee will will hire me. So I'll work for Swanee, and if that happens, I'll probably need to go uh, go out there in in uh, in uh, Grand Prairie and uh, set up a new hockey team in the senior leagues. And I would like to call it the Grand Prairie Swansons. There you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, overall, like. Um I mean, you know, well, like you said, the the battle for just having the tournament in Finland itself. I'm sure the, you know, the press was obviously probably scoffing at this whole idea and everything else. Um, oh yes. Yeah, and I mean, and like you said, then your your kind of your local gate attraction gets hurt, and I mean, it's anything that can go wrong seems to be going wrong. But uh, overall, like, how were the like when the guys got over there? Um, like how how what like. Did they seem to enjoy it? Did everything go okay in that sense? Oh yeah, and like I have to tell you this much that uh, I think it was the week week after our tournament that again uh, they had these NHL regular season games played in Europe and again also in Finland. And I know that certain people from the NHL were not too happy that at one point we were getting more press coverage than they did. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think I went to pick up all the guys from the a- airport personally, and uh, on the first evening when everybody got together at the hotel, we went 
out for dinner and some beers and I was really, really happy to finally meet these guys that I had, you know, some of them I had known for years, like Derek Parker. I think I first got to know Parksy back in 2004 or 2005, but he was still playing in the Central League. And actually, when I moved to Regina, it was Parksy who was there to meet me at, at the airport. And I spent my first night at his place. And then uh, there was an, an unfortunate family tragedy that happened there but uh, Parker was always a good friend to me there and, and a great host and we had some great road trips from Regina to Calgary and especially the one road trip where our car broke down in the middle of the prairies uh, it was uh, Thursday afternoon maybe 1 or 2 p.m. no clouds in the sky and we waited for the tow that tow truck for i don't know two or three hours and spent the night in brooks alberta uh, uh and we I, I didn't know these people parker knew them somehow we stayed the night at this one farm and then in the morning uh, we got the car back up and running and we went to calgary and actually i was so glad that uh i made that trip because i also found my way to banff and it had always been you know, a big dream of mine to go and see bands because I'm a, I'm a, you know, I really love the mountains. That's one of the greatest perks that I had, you know, living in Italy, up there in the Alps, you know, seeing all, all those mountains. And, you know, I'm, I'm very much into hiking and, you know, bushcrafting and this stuff. And I, I would really like to someday, you know, take a lot of time and just roam, all around in the mountains in Alberta and BC because there's so much to see and, you know, also hoping that I could have the chance to go hike in Vancouver Island. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, Banff is beautiful and Jasper and Lake Louise and that whole area is unbelievable and, yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Um, yeah, so you're all hanging out in Finland. You got Bone and McMorrow and all the boys over there and uh, <laughs> uh, now, like, um, so basically, they were over there, and like, did like were they were you were they paid an appearance like a, a appearance fee yes. or was it? Oh, they were every everybody. Oh, I think everybody received five hundred bucks, you know, just for participating in the tournament. Yeah. So, and like Swanee said, that he should have taken more time and you know just travel a bit. And not be in such a rush, you know, to go back to work. But, you know, it is what it is. And, like, uh, I really, really hope that uh, someday I can go visit Curtis or maybe he makes his way back here. And I'll take him to a road trip all, all, all around Europe because there's a lot of great places to see. And, like, sometimes it's, you know, fu you know funny to me that when I, uh, when I talk to my friends from Canada or U.S. that... Whenever they speak about Europe, it's always about London or Paris or, you know, fucking Barcelona. But there's so many places here to see. It's, it's, it can be, you know, it can be quite an adventure if you, if you dare to get off the beaten path, so to speak. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, no, I've never been to Europe. It sounds interesting. Maybe I'll have to come visit you. 
What's this? What's yeah, this? we we can what? go watching Phoenix hockey. There's oh, no well, fighting, I promise. Well, we'll just go drink. Maybe we'll 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 just drink and watch old VHS tapes at your place. That would be more fun than <laughs> going to watch any current Finnish hockey. But uh, yeah, but I said, well, once them hockey, once some cool hockey dot com uh, residual checks start coming, I'll be able to afford airfare. So yeah, but right. uh, sounds like a plan. There you go. Um, but yeah, so as, as far as the ice, so the event goes off. Um, now I've, I, I, I recently, it, the, oh, and by the way, everybody, uh, the ice warrior, it's on YouTube, uh, the tournament. Yeah. Um, uh, was there, was there any, uh, serious injuries with anybody? Uh, Tristan Manson, he got concussed and I remember the moment when the doctor told him that you are not good to go anymore, but he really, he really wanted to go, you know, and he, he really wanted to go there and fight again, but uh, knowing that his fiance at the time, now his wife, was uh, expecting their first child. So I can actually remember this, that uh, I put my arm around his shoulders and I told Tristan, your future child needs his daddy 100%. And that what, you know, that's when he understood it, yeah. He shouldn't, you know, go back fighting. And also, Swanee told that in, in in the finals, in those three fights against Parker, he also he also got concussed. But uh, I don't think there was any broken bones or anything. But uh, that was a great, you know, final series. Uh, Swanee basically only had to fight one and a half rounds to get to the finals, while Parker had gone five rounds already. So Swanee being, you know... A good guy. He he agreed that they should wait out, you know, an an extra fifteen or twenty minutes, you know, just so that Parker can, you know, you know, catch his breath again. And it was a great final series. And to think that both Derek Parker and Sean McMorrow, who fought in the semis against each other, they didn't fight in that style that they are so well known, you know, from the LNH, and you know, some fans criticize their style. They actually went toe-to-toe there quite a bit, and I think that in the first semifinal match between Parker and McMorrow, Parker landed the punch of the tournament. That one uppercut really caught McMorrow really, really well. Yeah. No, there were some great fights, and uh, yeah, um, overall, how was, um, like, in terms of, like, the, uh, it, like, what was the final, res- like, were the attendance, what was the final result of it, what was the like what was the general what were people saying after it was over everybody who was in there watching the fights the feedback that i received was that they really enjoyed it because they also had some live bands and miss ice warriors competition and all kinds of stuff going on between the fights but i think we only had like 2000 or 2500 people at the event and it's unfortunate that it was that very same weekend that in our neighboring city, we were uh, having our tournament in this city called Espo. That's basically like a like a satellite city to Helsinki. But it was a rare rare occasion that uh, the both Helsinki teams actually played a home game that same same evening when we had our tournament. So that that definitely hurt us at the gates, and uh, I think that was the reason why we never had another tournament because it wasn't a, you know, a financial success by any means, unfortunately. So 
Yeah, that that yeah, it's uh, it's it's too bad. And uh, but like I said, it, it's uh, it, it's certainly in terms of you know fight whatever you want to call it, fight history or enforcer history. You know that and the black and blue tournament are certainly uh, um, sort of bookends in the whole thing of about uh, and to, and to think uh, you know that you were um, a part of it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And like you know. Uh, like all these guys, like you know, Parker, Swanee, McMorrow, Bone, and Black, they all said that not only did they get the, this experience, you know, and this unique opportunity to fight in such tournament, but like for guys like Parker and Bone, you know, they 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 fought in both of these tournaments, which is pretty damn cool. But also off the ice, they were like a band of brothers, like. They were happy to see each other again because some of these guys had, had you know, played together in the LNH. They had fought each other. But, you know, they were like brothers. And it was, you know, so cool for me to meet all these guys because we had been talking, you know, on Facebook or MSN Messenger and whatnot. And, like, you know, I made lifelong friendships there. And, like, when Sean McMorrow had to serve time, and just before he got released, he wrote me this great four-page note that uh, he explained about his situation and how much he appreciated my help with his career and my friendship. And it's incredible to think that he did that job for all those years and even came, you know, back from you know retirement, so to speak. And no matter what the fans say about his style, but. You know, sometimes even in these recent years, watching him, you know, fight these newcomers in the LNH level, he would not go for the spinning style. He would actually, you know, go, you know, toe to toe and, you know, just give a good show. And like, you know, guy like Donnie, Donnie Augustine explained as much in his interview. And Sean was always a good sport and he was always a good showman. And I know he, uh, he, you know, pissed off some you know, some, some of the other fighters with that showboating stuff like like also Parker did. But, uh, yeah, LNH was its own entity, like you've said and Alec has said. And I think it, it, it has to be taken as such because uh, I can remember when I first saw these old QSPHL fights with those long square-offs and, yeah. you know, the guy showboating. I was like, oh, what the hell is this? But... Yeah, you just have to accept it that it was its own form of entertainment. Yep. Yeah, well, that's the thing with the LNAH. I always, you know, you see it even on Twitter and stuff. I'll put up a fight, and it's like, um, yeah, I, well, the ignorance about a lot of people about the league is out there because, I mean, that's all they see is that. They don't realize mm-hmm. how good the actual hockey was. Um, that gets lost in a lot of things, how good the hockey was. Um was it a show? Yeah, it was a circus for sure. Can't art, can't dispute that. Um, but um, yeah, like you said, it was its own entity. It was its own. Yeah, it was its own show. And you can't. I always say you can't put like moder- like hockey logic and use it with the LNAH because it doesn't. It won't work. It's its own thing, like you said, and uh, it has. Yeah, it has to be viewed as such. But yeah, I can remember when I got an old. It was, I believe, it was a ninety-seven, ninety-eight QSPHL tape, and we put it in, and it was like, oh yeah, and these dimly lit Quebec small town and Quebec rinks, and 
you know, these guys, yeah, square off for a minute and a half, they'd throw three punches and fall down, and every once in a while there'd be an okay fight. Then there'd be some guy with the last name Brault, who'd end up just <laughs> kicking the shit out of whoever he fought. We're like, who the hell is this guy? He looked like, the, he was the Bob Probert of the league, you know, he just murdered yeah. guys, you know, but uh, there was a dude, man, Mike Brault, he did it for so long, or Brault, or Bro, or whatever his last, however you say it. I always say Brault, but yeah, he was, un- I think he has 600 career fights or something. It was unbelievable how long he did it for. But um, yeah, and then to see it kind of graduate to the LNAH, and then, you know, then all the money that was spent and the names that came in. I mean, yeah, it was it was an unbelievable growth, and uh, that mid-2000s was a great, uh, was a great time to be a, a fight fan and uh, and to follow the league, and with with Parker and McMorrow and Swanee and all those guys, it was. Uh, you look back on it now and you just shake your head. How you look at the rosters and the shit that went on, you just it's unbelievable. And how much yeah, and in I, fifteen years, how much things have changed. And I can remember like one of the first LNH guys who gave me an interview for that old website was actually Brad One Punch Lambert, and I can remember many many times. Because of the, you know the time difference between our two countries, I would go online MSN Messenger in the morning, and Lambo will be there, and you know probably after a good night drinking, and he will talk hockey. <laughs> yep. No, absolutely. Well, that was the one thing we you briefly kind of talked about when you called your Mister Penalty Box and whatever, and you hosted that website yeah. and you did all the interviews. That was really popular, though, wasn't it? You were kind of ahead of yeah. your time in terms of that. Yeah, in a way, but, you know, I was already working in hockey when I started that website, uh, that agent and scouting thing. And uh, I actually had to quit the website, or I, I made the decision to quit the website when I got my first job with a professional team. And, you know, I wouldn't e- even have ha- had the time anymore to make all those interviews. But uh, it's been uh, it's been something that still... A lot of the people, they they you know they come to me and they talk about. They can still you know quote a lot of stuff from those interviews. I think uh, we had a total of two hundred and forty to two hundred and fifty interviews published in like two or three years, and then that one season when we did those five or six video episodes. But yeah, it was it was a big success in its own way but again like uh, also still right to this day I need to sometimes uh, how would I say I need to explain myself that uh, why did I do that even though if if, like for example certain hockey people have this uh, I don't know problem with the fact that uh, you can't be such a, a vocal guy about promoting stories of this kind while working in professional hockey but hey i'll give you another you know fact now that i'm talking to you about hockey fights i would say that 95 you know percent of the time when i talk about hockey it's about the tactics it's about the off-ice training it's about the breakouts it's about the zone entries so it's actually a very small part of time that i use still to this day you know for hockey fights but for me like i said earlier it's just one of my many hobbies like if somebody wants to talk about the constellations with me or 
or the phases of the moon? Well, we can talk about that. And I actually studied history and archaeology in the university. Unfortunately, my hockey career made it, well, at that time, impossible for me to graduate. But it's kind of like a brand. It's like it got so big that I actually, when people would come up to me and ask for my autograph, I would sign my name there, and then under my name, I, I would sign as Mr. Penalty Box. Uh, but again, because fighting was so controversial, and still is so controversial here in Finland, it was in like so many nights when I was still actually drinking. I don't drink anymore. But uh, I would go to a bar, and somebody or some bodies would notice me, and they would want to come and, you know, pick a fight with me just because they knew that I was called Mr. Penalty Box. And it was probably because fighting was such like a hush-hush thing in Finland and people didn't understand that even the guys on the ice, they are not, you know, they're not mad at each other. Or like, let's say that you, you are a boxer and you have a boxing match. You go to the ring and you do your job. So, but like there were so many, like countless of situations where these drunken idiots come at me and they want to, you know, start a fight with no good reason at all. No, it was such a burden because this will, you know, I don't think this would happen in Canada, not, no. not in Quebec, not in Saskatchewan, not in BC, because people understand that fighting is just part of the game. It's in the context of our sport, nothing else, nothing less. Oh, I mean, if they if that you did that in Canada and you oh they came up to you, Mister Penalty Box, shit, they'd want to sit down and tell you stories or listen to stories. Yeah, yeah. no, you'd it'd be you'd be welcome. There certainly wouldn't be a, a a fight thing. Yeah, yeah, but like you know, uh, I enjoy talking about fights, and I'm very sad to see that it's a it's a dying hobby. Of course. We all know now more about the possible consequences of these, you know, punches to the head and all these, you know, yeah. big, big body checks in hockey, like, you know, that one doctor explained in the Ice Guardians. And we've had some unfortunate incidents with these players who have lost their lives. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a dying part of the game. And uh, I'm happy to have grown up in an era where I was actually able to see very, very physical hockey and very, very skilled hockey in Finland, because I'll give you some finesse players' names who played for the for IFK, that favorite team of my youth. Like We had guys like uh, Brian Rafalski, we had uh, Kimmo Timonen, we had, uh, we had uh, uh, Tony Lutman, uh, we had... Uh, Oli Jokinen, we had like, and we had that goalie, uh, Tim Thomas. So we had these guys playing just before they hit their prime. And this team was always loaded with this rough and tumble players. I know not every NHL fan likes the, this player, Jarko Rutu, or Jarko Rutu, but he did his job well wherever he played. And like I gave you out this list of tough guys who who have played in Finland from, you know, Trevor Doyle to Ryan Vandenbush and all these guys, so 
I know that I will never see a game like you said in your in your recent episode with Alec. You know, you knew in the '90s you go to see a Western League game or an NHL game that there will be a build up and there there will be an explosion. Now there's not none of this, and at times I'm not too excited watching two guys settling the score and initiating the fight after the face-off, you know, dropping the leads and then almost hugging each other after the fight and probably complimenting each other on, on their latest post on Instagram. But that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, di- yeah, it's a different, uh, different time, different, uh, different world these days. But yeah, like we, uh, you know, I, well, like I said, it's kind of a, a, a bookend to this interview. I mean, it's, uh, I, like I always say, I'm very thankful, and I, we got to see the good shit, you know, and uh, yeah. you know, and the characters. I think there's a lot. There's the characters of the game aren't there anymore, and there's definitely uh, the lost element for sure. And uh, yeah, and unfortunately, there's you know, there's been some some things happen, and uh, you know, and and some information, you know, with CTE and everything coming out, and um. You know, and unfortunately, it's, it's had some really bad consequences for guys, and I feel for those guys. But um, you know, on the other hand, the one thing that people, you know, you know, there's a thousand guys that played and fought that have no problem, and that you know, and so um, you know, and it's it's, uh, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate that the game sort of moved away from that um, from that style, but. Uh, we, we we got uh, we got to, like I said we were involved and uh, we have our memories anyway. Yeah, and like you know, I'm sure that you know, no matter if if you were a hockey tough guy in the '60s or or a hockey tough guy in the '90s, I'm sure that nobody thought that by engaging into a hockey fight that it would have some you know positive consequences on one's health. But still, uh, sometimes, well. This discussion and some of these <laughs> rules that these junior leagues have now, you know, set and you know de- determined the way how this game will be played in the future. Like Brian Burke said in that famous press conference when he explained how bad he felt that there was no need for you know uh, guys like uh, uh, Colton Orr anymore in the game that the rats will take over. And I have been in situations in the last few years with my own teams that our players have been abused and there's no way that we could counter that. And the one time I can remember one of our guys wanted to do something and go out there and, you know, correct an, an injustice that had happened. And the other team who actually made that first play that hurt our player. They got the four-minute power play. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, you're you're almost handcuffed out there if you are a physical player these days. Like I, That's why I understand that you have to politely ask the other guy if, if he wants to go and, you know, drop the gloves, you know, after the face-off. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's like you said, it's it's tough. It's a different uh, different mindset, different game, and uh, yeah. But well, I'll, I'll save I'll save that rant for another episode. But uh, yeah, but there we go. 
this is this has been a lot of fun, man. I know we've talked about this for a long time to come on. I'm certainly yeah. this isn't going to be the last time I'm going to have you on, but uh, I we kind of got the the history of uh, Jay in Finland and and your involvement, and uh, it, it was fun to finally record something. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, we we can talk about a lot of other stuff from the old junior a fighters to the colonial league and lnh and i'm hoping that you or alec will eventually make it happen that we're going to have a round table and have a great discussion between some very distinguished gentlemen well i don't know about distinguished i won't use that <laughs> word I, would, I might not even use the word gentleman but i know i we've certainly talked about the round table absolutely i'd, I'd love to do that and um yeah i will say for everybody out there uh as much as I have over the years have collected pictures and stuff from the internet and over, Jay here has been unbelievable with the amount of stuff that you have saved from articles to newspaper clippings to pictures and you have been a, a, a godsend of information when I've, I've kind of told you, oh, I'm thinking about getting this guy on next <laughs> in the morning I wake up and check my email and there's 15 newspaper articles about him from San Antonio to you name it. I mean, holy shit, did you ever save a lot of stuff and research? And, uh, man, the stuff you have, I'd love to go through all your files because, man, you'd have some good shit. Yeah, and you should see my scouting database and all that boring stuff. Like, I have to tell some people here right now, working in hockey is awesome, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's 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 so boring when you start compiling the videos and the stats like it's such a drag but the reward is always when you know that hey today or tonight we have a game so it's not always glamorous and it's it's taxing but it's a team sport and we all pray we all play our own role in that game and like i've been very very lucky to have the opportunities that I've had so far. And like I told you before we started recording, i really hoping that someday I can, you know, I come back to Canada and make my more permanent home there. And, you know, for me, it's, uh, it, it'll be awesome to be involved in, in junior hockey, no matter if it's junior B, junior A, or major junior. But there's a lot of things that I've seen. Like I told you about Shane Toporovsky and Roman Volpat, how these two guys have been able to combine the best of both worlds. And I'm hoping that uh, I can do that someday. But I still have some learning to do and some more adventures to experience before I, I come back to Canada. No, absolutely, and uh, no. I hope that I hope it works out for you. And uh, like you said, we just uh, the while the world needs to get this corona vaccine and uh, yeah. get that all straightened out, the craziness there, and and we'll kind of get we can hopefully at some point get back to get back to normal and uh, yeah, get Jay traveling again, get him over here in Canada, and uh, no, and but uh, I want to thank you right now for all the help that you've given me. Um, not just by doing this interview, but uh, you know, with your research and and all your um, you know, the pictures and and the information that you've sent me for guests and uh, and just our general emails. I always enjoy your emails and your stories. And uh, oh, I was going to ask while well, I'm thinking about with the Helena's was that was Sammy's book ever uh, published in English? No, and no. it will be it. It was an idea that we had, but the reality is that there were there will be no market for it. Just a fact, because he was just like a, 
like a side note player, you know, for any any North American hockey fan. And his story is, you know, only unique by Finnish standards and, you know, to some and also to European standards, you know, to a certain degree. But, uh, yeah, uh, we had to talk many years ago that we will maybe put out the second edition of the book and, you know, cover his his final three or four years that he played. And we still haven't gotten around to, you know, doing that. And Sammy is very busy with coaching. And actually now one of his sons is, is playing in in the Finnish league. And uh, he actually works in a school as a teacher. So, Well, there you go. But, yeah. uh, well, okay. Well, I guess I won't be getting that book. I mean, I'd like to support you guys, but it'd be pretty tough to read. Um, but, um, yeah, man, no, like I said, in all seriousness, I always appreciated your help. And, uh, yeah, we will, uh, it certainly won't be the last time I have you on the show, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah. And, like, if anybody out there maybe wants some footage or pictures or newspaper articles on, on any tough guy, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to help out if I can, because like, if we talk about a little bit about the old drop your gloves website, there were some people on that website and in the fight tape or fight DVD trading business that they would never share some of the stuff with anybody else. And that would just piss me off because whatever, whatever I have, I, I will share because, uh, there I'm hoping that our little crazy hobby We'll get some new new enthusiasts who are also interested in learning about the stories behind these players and these fights. Because when we dinosaurs leave this world, uh, we need to make sure that somebody is out there, you know, carrying the torch, you know, to sound dramatical here. No, I agree, though. But you're right. And uh, that's why it's always refreshing when someone like Alec, who is like 23... Uh, takes an interest in it, and uh, yeah, and and, is, and does the podcast and the Facebook group, and and is really into it. It's 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 good to see because uh, I've had many a fight with new age fans on Twitter, and uh, they don't give a shit about these guys, and it's and it's really disheartening. And uh, so when you have someone like Alec or a younger guy like that come along, it uh, it it's a it gives us old fucks some hope anyway. Yeah, and also, like, sometimes when I listen to these interviews, it's not, you know, necessarily the fight talk that I, that I consider the most entertaining. It's about the stories and the memories these players have from the road trips or from the arenas or, yep. you know, of the players that they, you know, play together with. It's not, you know, just about, you know, punching other human beings in the face. I you know, agree. It's yep. so much more, like... I would be bored, you know, just to go through, you know, some players fight guard, you know, together with him. And he would say that, yeah, I, it was a good total slugfest, blah, blah, blah. But it's it's like a, it's it's an experience no matter what level of hockey you play, because you get to travel. You get to see interesting people and interesting places. And and in a way, I miss the days when I was just a fan because when you are just a fan, it's, uh, well, when you work in this business, like we talked about maybe the parents' influence or something, it can be very, you know, discouraging at times. But then again, like, I don't know if I can 
be just a fan anymore, you know, watching these games because I'll I'll be honest here. I've been working for teams who have played games that unless I had this, you know, emotional connection to the team and the players, I would not have felt that I was entertained or that the money I spent on the ticket was worth the money. So I'm just being realistic and I know I know there's people in Finland who will not like me saying this out loud but it's it's a fact like there's been so many boring games but I have my job to do I have my stats to do I have my videos to do player meetings to do and I don't ever blame blame the players it's you know the world changes like we talked so and hockey has to adapt whether we like it or not yep no, that's true, and I mean that's the way it is. And like I said, I've had conversations with people, and and they, I mean, we can yell and bitch and 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 moan and long for the days, but yeah, I mean, as soon, the it's not they're not coming back. So the sooner you accept and move on, whether move on with the game as a fan or with or not being a fan, like I said, I've I've moved, I don't follow hockey anymore, so I don't watch, I don't care, doesn't matter to me, but. And that's my decision. Whatever. I mean, I, I would probably it would be different if I had kids that were involved in the sport. Then it would be different. Obviously, I'd be involved in it. But I don't have any attachment to the game anymore. So yeah. you know, whatever. But I've also accepted that. So I mean, I don't sit here and, and oh, it's going to come back. And it's what? No, it's not. I know that. So I said I think the sooner some people realize that and either continue to be a fan of the game for what it is. And this new way of playing, or never mind, stop bitching because it's not going to change. So, yeah, yeah. And the next time we talk, and when we record an episode, we will talk about the Colonial League. Absolutely. All right, awesome. Uh, because that's probably my favorite topic, you know, to discuss. Not just about the tough guys, but overall that that whole league and those players uh, it was if i had a time machine i would like to go back and watch a lot of those games i agree what actually some of the funnest stuff i had was when i put together uh, mel's fight tape for him because mel yeah. was one of the few players that saved his fights and i went and he gave me a refrigerator box full okay. of thunder bay wow. game tapes and yeah. I went, and I went through them and pieced off his fights and and, I, and unfortunately there was a bit of a kind of a time thing, so I was just basically getting Mel's fights. Okay. I kick myself now because I wish I had taped all the fights because there were so many, you know, with yeah. Ramsey and Warden and all those guys on the team, Holiday, Vern Ray. You know, but I was just concentrating on Mel's stuff, so I was getting Mel's foot, and I gave him back. But I'd like, I'd, I'd actually like to ask Mel if those if those tapes are still at his mom's house because it's a, I'd like to get those back and do them over again, but this time take all the fights off of them. But um, yeah, but just watching that, it was sort of um, the Colonial League really was sort of a, a, a precursor to the LNAH. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, with the amount of guys that went through it, and the, and the footage is so rare of that league. There isn't a lot of stuff out there. So yeah, uh, I used to I used to have the one uh, Brentford Smoke DVD, and I think I got that DVD 
from Kurt Boston because he sent me Swanee's DVDs, and I think he also sent me that Brantford Smoke DVD. I got it. Yeah, it's sitting right here. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, there's like, uh, you know, we talked about these, you know, less known tough guys from the West. And I would say now, just like one of the interesting characters, I never hear his name mentioned in your podcasts or in Alex's podcasts. Western Hockey League graduate, former Colonial League player, Chris Rowland. Yeah. yeah. Portland Winterhawk. Yeah. 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 I, that's true. Um, I know who you're talking about. I've seen some of his fights. I don't know a lot about him, actually. Um, but no, I know who, I know, I know the name. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Mm. All right, Darren. Thank you. This well, look was, at that. We're going to, we're going to end it awesome. on that. You, you drop Chris Rowland's name and then say fucking good night. All right. Well, there you well, go. Well, what do you want to talk? Justin Bieber's ECHL contract? Well, I, I, I wish Chris. <laughs> I wish Chris Rowland had got a hold of Justin Bieber for one game at the East Coast League. <laughs> I, I hate. I I can't stand Chris Pronger, but when he slammed when he okay. slammed Bieber up against the boards in that All Star game, I loved it. <laughs> okay. Hey, I have a Justin Bieber story in a way. I'll have to share it with you and the audience. So I was living in Regina, and me and my coworkers, we wanted to go out, and there was this one nightclub, Habanos in, you know, pretty close to downtown Regina. But the bouncer wouldn't let me in because I had a Sex Pistols t-shirt. And this older gentleman told me that I can't let you in wearing that heavy metal shirt. Like, what? Okay. Yeah, okay. So (laughs) what happened that the following week, I was, I think, in Walmart or, you know, Dollarama or wherever, and I saw this Justin Bieber t-shirt for $2 and I bought it and the next time we went out with my co-workers the same prick you know was bouncing there and he just looked at my Bieber shirt and said are you fucking serious get in (laughs) (laughs) there you go Uh, well there you go folks there has been my interview with Jay the Belieber uh from Finland. Uh, <laughs> it sounds so so wrong. <laughs> that, that I, I, well, you gave me the title of the, of the podcast, too, this episode. So, so, thank God I'm not the high priest of hockey violence anymore. Now I'm James the Believer from Finland. The oh, Believer from you, Finland. There you go. Oh, what an improvement. <laughs> yeah. Wow, well, like we said, things change, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. The evolution. I, I, I also have my soft sides, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, well, sir, uh, again, with the time difference and everything else, I want to uh, thank you for sitting down for two hours with me and, and telling stories, and just, uh, it's always been fun, and I, like I said again, I appreciate all the help that you've given me, and uh, we will definitely have you back on, and, uh, yeah, man, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 